What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagne, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. open the voice gate for july 5th 2023 we are members of the voices of wrestling podcast network you can find us on the voices of wrestling podcast network feed or on our own dedicated open the voice gate feed on all podcast platforms applications and you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate if you'd like to donate to the show click the link in the show notes it'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site click the red box that says sponsors podcasts and you can sign up for one time or reoccurring donations no obligations whatsoever but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside, as always, your other co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, Kobe World 2023, it's behind us now. How are you doing, it, bud? It, it's behind us. Well, you know, it, it's a glorious time of the year, every year. I, I'm doing well. I feel well-rested. I spent... Uh, of course, I, I, I took a classic uh, rich cracation. How did uh, a cracation? I, I believe is the correct way of pronouncing that. Where I did travel on the biggest weekend of the year for what we do. I was away from my laptop for most of the weekend. Did not finish Kobe World in full until yesterday, Tuesday, July fourth, a full two days after the show took place, which was a, a maddening process for me, but. I enjoyed uh, the little bit of time I got off from the shoot job and from life in general. Uh, how was your birthday? It was really nice. It, I'm, now, it was. I'm now realizing I didn't wish you a happy birthday, and I feel <laughs> terrible about that. Happy birthday, Mike. Oh, thank you. Uh, don't feel bad about it. I, I, I kind of sleep or sell my birthdays. I've yeah, always yes. been. Yeah, you're, you're a covert birthday guy. And before you finish that thought, look, I'm not, I'm not a birth week. I'm not a birth month. I'm not a make a big deal about it, but if people want to wish me a happy birthday, they are more than welcome to. I don't enjoy the anti-attention seekers on their birthday. I find that <laughs> arguably to be more off-putting than birth month people. I, well, for me, I mean, my birthday is like right next to 
the 4th of July. So I was never, it, it was something that like, I usually go to baseball games on my birthday. So yeah. like, when, so it, it's less me being mawkish. It's more me being like, oh, okay, that's cool. And like, I, I, I did get something case over my birthday where I will be receiving something that I know will be very much of your interests. Mm, okay. I have my lovely partner got me a pair of cowboy boots that I went and got fitted for. <laughs> <laughs> oh i need to see a mike spears cowboy boot photo shoot immediately with the tracksuit oh yeah no no tracksuit gets tucked in on those bad boys but no it was it, it was nice uh actually got to go see a little bit of wrestling history on my birthday uh so to go get the boots there's a part of fort worth called the stockyards and it's kind of a known thing it was stockyards because that's where the cattle drives would end before they would put put cows on trains to go to chicago it was one of those things but one of the really cool things about it is that the stockyards coliseum is where world class was every week and i got to walk by it. it still exists this building it's one of those really cool wpa like buildings that like grew up in it's still there and i was like oh that's where the von erics were my girlfriend had no interest whatsoever don't you love that when you walk by a building that has meaning and wrestling and it's just like I think about that and I haven't been to the Frontier Fieldhouse for a Ring of Honor show in seven years. Last one I went to was early 2016. And there are, I mean, there are obviously they haven't been shows there and, and just about that long. But every time I would line up at the Frontier Fieldhouse, I mean, it's a it's a community recreation complex and gym. And every time I would line up there, I just think like wrestling has literally changed because of this building like Joe versus Punk 2 and blood generation versus doofixer happened here that is insane that people work here use this facility and drive by here every day and they just have no idea oh yeah and, and i think it's also a case where for the two of us like it was two years ago when i was over in chicago for labor day going past the congress theater as yes. decrepit as it was i was with a. Uh, uh, Patrick Cosmos, and uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I know you're a GUSA pervert, so uh, we're going to a bar over here. The Congress is like one block away. And I was just like, uh, that's where Yamato versus Brian Danielson happened. Pardon me. Pardon me. It's, so. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And Patrick Cosmos, shout out, a, a man who I live in the same city as I know him through online. I can't believe we're not in real life friends because he has all of my interests and more. Uh, but yeah, no, every time. So the Congress Music Theater, this is a this is the biggest episode all year. Real quick side note about Chicago <laughs> music venues and how they relate to wrestling history. So the Congress Theater is on the same block as a venue that is now known as Concord Music Hall, which is unequivocally the worst venue in Chicago. This is the best live music city in the country. Austin will stick their nose in that fight. Austin is wrong. It, it, Chicago is as good as it gets because we just we have all the venues you could possibly want. We have festivals. We have club dates. We have a great United Center. It's great for concerts. I've been to a few there. They've all been fantastic. Concord Music Hall sucks shit. It is like watching a concert in a steakhouse. They designed this building and they said, how many obstacles can we put in front of the stage? We're going to put two giant brick pillars right in people's sight lines so they can't see. And in the middle of the venue, we are going to build a glass bar so that the bar is not in the, the complete back of the venue or on a side. It is essentially in the middle of the venue and it gets in 
everybody's way. There's no such thing as a good sight line there. It's awful. And every time I go there, I'm I'm grumpy. But then when you walk by Concord, or at least on the way there, you pass the uh, uh, Congress Theater. And I always smile and I think about the Drangate USA shows that happened there. And then I'm in a little bit of a better mood before I go to the worst venue in Chicago. I, from the way you describe it, there's no way they can book anything like hardcore or punk there, right? But they, like, like they, they do. Um, maybe, maybe how not. those pillars? Well, that's the that's the thing is that it's just it's not a good spot. I mean, I talked to somebody recently who saw I was not at the show. They saw a great punk band there, and specifically a great live band, and they are like. Yo, they weren't that good. Like the atmosphere was all off. Nobody was really moving around. It was kind of a bummer. And then the next time that band was in town, they played the Metro, which is the most iconic venue here. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, people people know it from the Smashing Pumpkins live set '93. Uh, they know it from all the things Rise Against have done there. You know, Prince has played there. Metallica played there uh, two years ago. Uh, Green Day played there last year. It's the spot in Chicago. And this punk band rolled into the Metro and it was lit beyond belief. It was like, oh, no, this is what a venue is. This is exactly what it should be. No, it's it's, it's a bad time, but it's next to the Congress Theater, which always makes me smile. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, and it's something like whenever I think about like bad venues, like I, I, I don't know, like the, the little bit of charm and the idea that like some uh, venue owner must have be like, you know, be a great idea. Let's have a giant bar in the middle of everything and and i have to imagine that it's so dumb that do they at least work both sides of it uh well okay so what what do you mean by that like you say it's in the middle of it is there only like one or two wells there or they have one on like each side i think there's only one or two i i don't think it's like a full yeah it's it's a it's a terrible venue. It's one of those. I mean, there's been shows that look cool that I've opted to not go to because they're there. And the few shows that I do go to there, I'm always way less excited than if they were at a, you know, a, at a building of a similar capacity size, but just in a different spot in the city. That place sucks. Uh, real quick, relating to Kobe World as we sort of transition in here. Can I tell you the story about how I watched the main event live uh, in real time this year? Okay, I. how did you pull this off? So, if you didn't listen last week, I was on vacation with my girlfriend, went to her hometown, stayed with her mom for a few days. It's the first vacation I've taken in four years. At, you know, she really wanted to do this trip, and I, I was stoked about it, too. And I also, Kansas City kicks ass. I had a great time. But I was, I was telling her on Saturday, we were out on the town. I was like, hey, so, like, you know, I'm, I'm probably just going to go home and go to bed like i kind of there's like this big wrestling show tomorrow and you know mike and i are going to talk about it on the podcast and i i just i kind of i'd like to be able to watch some of it live and she, it's not that she was perturbed by it, she just didn't care she go do whatever you need to do i was like so i'm gonna set an alarm for like five o'clock in the morning and wake up and you just you just go back to bed and i'm just gonna watch the show and she didn't love that but i was like all right whatever and then Luckily, I thought the show, I mean, we thought the show was going to be like a five and a half hour show, like an old Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, turns out Drangy sped the process up and I woke up in the middle of the night at around three o'clock to pee. And I thought, well, I'm up. Let me let me flip on Kobe World. And I was doing that right as they were going to intermission to set up the cage. So, OK, I'm up. I, I made it basically a pillow fort next to her bed so that my computer light wouldn't be blinding her or getting in her eyes, waking her up. I watched the cage match. 
I take diligent notes. I am ready to go back to bed. And her dog is now on my side of the bed. I try to move the dog. Dog won't wake up. I try to shake the dog. Dog won't wake up. I try to pick the dog up. Dog is too heavy and too planted in the bed. And I spent the rest of the night. I gave up at that point because I didn't want to wake her up because it was, you know, 430 in the morning. I slept on the floor for the next four or five hours uh, while the dog slept in my spot on the bed. But it was all worth it for Kobe World to watch that main event unspoiled. I have no complaints. Hey, uh, my our dogs have like the unique ability somehow to I have a king size bed case and like Pudge is not Pudge is a bigger dog. But uh, King's dog, Wells, is a multi food like it doesn't take space. Somehow the two of them managed to make me into like a folded up like ruffle chip is like my body shape because of these two dogs half the time. So I totally get that. But it's it's not an ideal situation but you know what was the main event of kobe world yeah so kobe pro wrestling festival 2023 came to us july 2nd from kobe world kenan hall let's get the particulars out of the way first case 5150 super no vacancy full house just like we were from our shows with with jay talking about attendance 5000 was always like the number bandied about and I was like looking at a native Twitter account case and they were like listing off scenarios and their last scenario was if it's bigger than 5,000 unqualified success. And that seems to be the overall kind of vibe about this, uh, the coming out of Kobe world, at least business wise. I, I look, we're, we're going to spend a second on attendance because there's just a million different things to talk about. First of all, did that number surprise you? What were your thoughts when you saw 5150 and to note, a sellout they they sold every ticket available yeah uh looking at the crowd and at least for me like i woke up the the next day i I watched uh, kobe world the afternoon and evening of the second but i did not hear attendance when i first like woke up on the second and i was seeing photos i was like oh that looks really good maybe that's uh three or four you know back at it but i didn't realize 5150 super no vacancy uh complete sellout and it's something that you you know that is that there's qualifiers to this one but then the the day 5150 is a huge number even if it took cage match hiromu shingo uh kakuda versus yoshioka that like it's something that like if you put that foot forward and you're trying to make that step 5150 is kind of like that's what you're hoping to get when you do that and i think like that's accurate of reality as it is right now in the industry i asked someone in the company what their thoughts were on world after the fact and they said and i quote good show great crowd incredible ending worth popping a bottle for but i'd save the real good stuff until we can do it again next year i'm sorry i'd save the real good stuff until we can do it without a cage match plus big stars maybe just big stars next year end quote so in the in the room as people like to say, in the room, an unmitigated success. This is, I mean, look, I thought this show would do well, and I think it's really important to put in perspective, this wasn't 5150 in the building to see Hiromu. This was a card that was drawn in part by Hiromu. If you want to give a real small sliver of that pie to Shingo, I'll give you that, but you got to give just as much to the Dreamgate match if you're going to do that. This was a Absolutely. card drawn by Hiromu and by the cage match. This cage match was over in the building. 
it was over in the build too. It was over in the TV towns. It was over in the small buildings. I, you know, I, I know you don't keep up as much on the YouTube stuff as I do. The YouTube matches leading up to this cage with Diamante and Ultimo for the last month all felt super, super hot. So this number surprised me because I didn't think it would be that high, but I also didn't think we were venturing into the 3,000 range. You know, this Honestly, this feels like the appropriate number for this show. Yeah, and I feel like that's like the ultimate takeaway. And th- there is a reality that because of the cage, they weren't able to sell as many tickets. Like that, that that has to be like if we're listing reasons for this, like there's less tickets on the floor because of the cage. But still, well, I, well, it's yes, still over five k. Go ahead. Yes, I, the, it's still know, over five k with that. The, okay, so let's let, let's look at this building historically because I think if you are a golden era dragon gate fan you know 2014 to 2016 lapsed you might you might see that number in shutter you know oh my god only 5,000 fans in this building but let's put this into perspective for just a second first of all going backwards two shows last year combined they did 4430 uh 1915 fans for the ultima show 2515 fans for kobe world proper abysmal numbers all the way around last year new japan burning spirit with the two matches being Carl Anderson versus Hiroshi Tanahashi and Will Ospreay versus David Finley. I don't know what the restrictions in place were at that time. They did 3150. Going back to 2021, this being World and Speedstar Final, Speedstar Final notably drawing 3,580, a great number as it was a retirement show during COVID. Those were the only things that drew during COVID. Combined attendance, 5976. That puts you in perspective of where things have been during COVID. Obviously, you just think about that rationally for a second. You think about the business toll that's taken, let alone you know the G1 shows from 2020 and 2021 that did half of 5150. They were doing 2,500 fans. We were like, oh, that's pretty good. You know, <laughs> look at all the people that Shingo and Osprey brought to the building. You know, we were just in in awful this awful hellscape. Let's look at the pre-COVID numbers for a second. And with Dragon Gate, we have a smaller pool to sample from we have 2019 in 2018 2019 did 5365 that was with ben k versus Pac on top and the return of ultimo dragon as the big matches in 2018 did 4952 with Ata versus dragon kid and masada yoshino versus shingo as the two big matches so dragon gate beating a pre-coven number is a win in and of itself but to come close to 2019, which we all felt like was a hot show with a great crown and a big payoff in the end, that is a win also. Yeah, and just to clarify, there's a reason we're only talking about 2018, 2019. Dragon Gate worked all numbers up until the OWE split. Did they so, sell out the buildings? Yes. Do we know what the real attendance was? Kind of, but do we know it was not like 9650? Probably not. So 2018... We knew, uh, and I believe it was the exact quote going around, was, you know, this is the least amount of people they've had in the building since X. And that X was, you know, maybe 1999, maybe 2000. It was very early in Dragon System history, the last time they had a world that drew that poorly. But it was also jarring because that show, like I said, did 49.52. In the year prior, with Yamato versus an ice-cold, ice-age, fucking ice-brick T-Hawk, that show claimed 9,800 fans. And Mike, do you believe for a second that show drew 9,800 fans? No, I don't believe that show drew 8,000 fans. 
<laughs> I'm not sure it did 5,000. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and that is like the overall kind of thing about that is like a lot of these numbers were like you brought up 2018. I have a quote from someone within the company in 2018. Yes, it was that lowest attendance, but they also made more money on that show than they did any year previous to that due to business differences, new sponsorships and a lack of comps. So it, it looked bad, but it was something that at the end of the day, they're like, hey, uh, we actually did pretty good then. And to put it in perspective of, okay, where's the business leader at? Where's New Japan? Because I did not realize prior to this weekend how few companies ran this building. For some reason, I thought Noah had a big show here every year. I thought maybe DDT, despite always struggling to draw outside of Tokyo, I thought, hey, maybe DDT's run a show here. No, they have not. But looking at prior, and this is pre-COVID New Japan attendance numbers in this building, 6,148 uh, destruction in Kobe 2019 with Tetsuya Naito versus Jay White and Hiroki Goto versus Shingo in the uh, big two matches there. 2018 destruction in Kobe. This was 64-54 with Kushida versus Bushi and Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi in your main event. That is the biggest number that I've seen on record of the real attendance era in that building. Makes sense. It's Okada versus Tanahashi. You go back to 2017 destruction in Kobe. Main event, Kenny Omega versus Juice Robinson. And this is Omega in 2017 when, you know, he was the wrestler to watch. I mean, literally changing the industry with seemingly every match he had in New Japan. That did 5482. So Dragon Gate was 300 fans off of a peak New Japan number. Yes, for New Japan, it's, you know, if we're being generous, a B show, maybe a C show, but an Omega main event and Drangate is nearly matching their attendance number uh, with the show post COVID this year. Uh, another tip in the cap to what Drangate did here. Yeah. So I think that it was all pretty remarkable, at least like that. Uh, I, did, should we just do a couple overall thoughts before we get into match by match? Yeah, please go ahead. So I noticed something and I'm going to do this now before we get into like match by match stuff. I noticed an outcry case during this. I know that you were visiting the delights of Kauffman Stadium, uh, uh, Oklahoma Joe's, you know, all the greats in Kansas City. I, 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 I did go to Kauffman. I would put it as a 4.25 star stadium. Really enjoyed my stay there. Go ahead. Yeah, but one of the big things I heard was, oh, these matches are super short. And that did happen. We did have a two-minute opener. And... Something that really kind of struck me today while doing the Spears of Asian Weekly show was I feel like I had a thought back my head. I feel like that's always kind of been the case. So case, yes, the matches were in general a lot shorter, but that's generally been the case for matches with a steel cage survival. The last time case, uh, the, the last steel cage match was Dead or Alive 2021, of course, case. Uh, the longest match outside of this, and I, I'm mentioning this one up front first, was the uh, the Triangle Gate match between Natural Vibes and Masquerade. Of course, this is the show that had the Shun Skywalker hip-hop Kakuta injury, but that was all before this. Like, like, they only adjusted, really, that match and maybe gave the cage match so more time, so nothing on the undercard was longer than 13 minutes. Uh, let's go to 2020 case. So, Dead or... So, so we did not have a cage match at Dead or Alive. We had the cage match that year at uh, Dangerous Gate. The longest match other than that was an open to Twin Gate title match other than the cage that, that came in at 20 minutes. Let's go to 2019. Let's go pre-COVID case. Uh, Dead or Alive 2019, of course, had the uh, Pack versus Dragon Kid Dreamgate match. It also had the turn for 
uh, Benkei leading into his Golden Road. Outside of the Dreamgate match case, the longest match on that show, 14 minutes and 10 seconds. And just just putting a finer point on this case, let's take let's take a show before the OWE split. The 2016 Dead or Alive, considered one of the better cage matches in company history, correct? Yes. So let's look at the undercard there. There, The undercard there, uh, the longest match was 16 minutes, a Twin Gate match, T-Hawk and Big R Shimizu versus Ata and Dragon Kid. The other longest match was a Brave Gate match at 12. So the point I'm making, and maybe this is on me somewhat, we should have expected that a lot of the, that because of the cage match everything would be kind of sped up and we did and instead we didn't and maybe our expectations were out of whack a little bit i, I think it's a it, it's an interesting point you made you know I, I can see how people were really thrown off by it because the opening match was two minutes long and it was a damn good two minutes might i say loved the opener quite honestly wish it went 12 minutes instead of two but that really set the tone for, oh, short match, oh, short match, oh, oh, Mochizuki didn't get a lot of time there. Okay, things are things are kind of flying by here. And, you know, you could certainly make the argument that a few matches deserve more time than they got. But you're you're absolutely right. There's, there's a, a level of history that we now have with these shows that should have told us otherwise. Yeah, and it does not, like changed the fact that it was a two and a two and a half minute opener it just was one of those things that i noticed went and did a little bit of research but overall i just wanted to make that point but overall i came away with this show like of course the cage match being the cage match and built up to what it was it completely uh, knocked it out of the park it was what we were hoping for it was the launch of diamante as we thought it would happen and in practice it was a whole lot better than i thought it would go and uh the rest of the show I felt like was somewhat to expectations, if not trending a little bit down. Though there was some some really strong stuff up there. I know your review just went up at voicesofwrestling.com. Uh, what were your overall takeaways? I enjoyed this show. I thought it was a good show. Did not think it was a great show. I think if the Dreamgate match was better than it was, everybody's thoughts on this show would be different. But w- my big takeaway from this is, you know, you and I are normally the first people to watch and review these Dragon Gate shows. We're, we're normally recording or I'm normally writing about a show before I've consumed a lot of opinions on it. This obviously was the opposite, and it put me in a different perspective, especially with this being the show that has the most eyeballs on it. I was you know, not able to watch the show for a while, but I was still very online and consuming opinions even on matches that I hadn't seen. So there were a lot of takes for this show that I was preparing for and expecting. And when I watched the show in reality, I didn't find those claims to be true at all. Whether it be this idea that the crowd were completely dead for all of the new guys, or especially in the Dreamgate uh, match that the crowd didn't care, I I found all of that to be untrue. There were also uh, some comments that I read that made it seem like, oh, maybe this match was a disaster. You know, was, was Hiromu versus Yamato just a complete... Uh, you know, it, it fell apart. It was a disaster. They were uncooperative. No, it was in in a weird way. It was kind of the match that I expected it to be, even if it wasn't the match that we all know it could be. It, it was a greatest hit sort of thing. So maybe just by reading comments, my expectations were lowered for this show. And then in reality, the show ended up being better than that. But I really I, I would have a hard time coming away from this show 
not thinking at the very least that it was a good show. And again, I'm not making the claim that it was great, but I've seen some people really down on this. And to me, that is just very, very odd. Yeah, it it was something that I mean, hey, we did about seven hours of audio leading up to the show, talked about the the, the card uh, frontwards, backwards and sideways. And I guess like just taking like Yamato and Hiromu, I felt like I was the down person coming into that match. And it kind of was to what I expected <laughs> with that. But the, the the thing about like the crowd, like I don't I, I think that rings really hollow considering how throughout the show maybe not in the openers and stuff where there really wasn't much time but you you heard the crowd during the dream gate you heard the the calls that would happen for even like minorita during the triangle gate let alone the as soon as shun gave everyone the signal that crowd in kobe all 5150 of them knew who the baby face was and was behind him and then god the post match with this I, i i don't see how you can argue that this was a dead crowd whatsoever so let's talk about the cage match let's get into it main event of the show five-way mascara contra mascara cage match ultimo dragon dragon kid strong machine jd diamante shun skywalker i haven't talked to you about the show i don't know your thoughts big picture what are your memories of this cage match what are you taking away three days four days removed from the match i feel like that this cage match will be remembered maybe not to 2016 or 2011 standards, but I feel like history will be more kind to this cage match than we are in the present. And that is, like, I was four and a half on it. I thought it was really well done, especially given the limitations and the fact that you had Ultimo in there for about 10 minutes of that match, and everyone was like, let's, we had, there was an effort to get Ultimo out, but they even used that effort of, oh, Ultimo, of course he's going to walk through the door. He's not climbing down the cage. And having that work into, oh, that's when the weapons get introduced to the cage because everyone's going to let Ultimo out of the cage, but Zebrats is going to then invade. And leading into this where you had Dragon Kid getting the athletic exit, Strong Machine J having his moments, did not necessarily come out of the show as high. I I don't think Strong Machine J had the, the... 100% 100% performance that I was hoping for, but like he was like 85%. Like, I feel like he got a lot out of that match. And then the Shun Monte part, like it, it is something that case I have a page of notes about this match. I've not looked at it once. I the, like when you have a cage match that, that you're able to almost, and yeah, this is four days after I watched it. But when you have a cage match that you're able to, from memory, you have it etched in your brain to remember those moments that's not going to go away. And I think that in time, and especially after we see what what is in the future for the former Diamante, I think we'll look back at this like in 2028 going, you know, 2023, the, they did it at Kobe World and it's up there. And that's kind of where I'm already at. Rio Saito is a really interesting booker and he's been in power long enough now to where we know some of his quirks. We know some of the things he does well, and some of the things he doesn't do well. A, a, a fatal quirk that he's developed is that Rio Saito likes to get cute with the Dreamgate belt at Kobe World. You think about the history of it. Last year, the Coach Minora debacle. This year, D-Courage just kind of hanging out en route to a Dreamgate match at World. 2021 worked out because it was Yamato, Keizy, and Shun, and you had a realistic argument for all three of those guys 
leaving the weekend as Dreamgate champion, but I don't think anybody was in love with the idea of doing the two title matches on two consecutive nights. Rio Saito likes to get cute with the Dreamgate belt at World. Where he has found his calling is that twice now, Rio Saito has created and developed and executed iconic unmasking moments. And Mike Drangate and Torimon, they turn 25 next year. And if we were going to com- create a list of the 25 most iconic moments in Drangate history, and maybe that will be on VoicesOfWrestling.com next year, undoubtedly, on that list, you would have the Dragon Daya unmasking from 2021, and you would have the Diamante unmasking here. This was what, what I, I, I labeled a forever memory. You know, I, I will always remember this cage match. And to your point about it aging, you know, this was different than any Drangate cage match we've ever seen. This was you know, closer to like Flair versus Von Erich. I mean, this was a fight. This was a brawl. This was Jim Crockett doing mascara contra mascara. This was a violent cage match. It wasn't wacky. It wasn't zany. It really wasn't Dragon Gate. I mean, this match was slow in parts of it, but I think the slowness actually added to it. It's a match that when it was over a little bit like you, it really, I, there were some things there that marinated with me, and it wasn't until the next afternoon, the next day, on my flight home, thinking about what we're going to talk about in the show, where I was like, oh, no, I really liked that. And in the Strong Machine J comeback, this happened, and I really liked that. It was a, a meticulous match where everything they tried to accomplish got over. And the final point I make is I want to go through this match guy by guy, talk about what they did and where they can go from here, as well as notes on Diamante and Strong Machine J, which haven't been reported anywhere. The thing that stood out to me most was that the Ultimo Dragon escape, and the Dragon Kid escape, and the Strong Machine J escape, and the Shun Skywalker escape. I have no notes. I thought they were all brilliantly executed, and that took this match to the next level for me. Every escape mattered, and I have no possible correction, idea, suggestion on how any of these guys could have escaped the cage other than the way they did. A props to everybody involved for nailing that aspect of the match. Yeah, and it's something that I I felt like that that this match had phases in a way that maybe only like 2016 i remember the distinct phases of that match like that vividly but this one like the the intensity ratch up like you you brought up remembering like flair von eric reunion arena like this in a way had a level of violence to it that was not uh dissimilar to original war game style and i thought that that was really interesting like to the point of the final elimination like there's no way you could walk out of kobe world and especially considering he has just been like announced for dates on his next u.s tour without thinking like shun skywalker is one of the best heels if not characters in all pro wrestling just with that last elimination the absolute fucker moment of oh i'm tying your mask to the bottom rope you want to stop me you're not done mask guess what you're unmasking either way like god what a fucker. Oh, I, I have I have a lot to say on Shun Skywalker, but let's go let's go Ultimo first. You know, Ultimo escapes and can't get over the cage. And it seems like it's a moment 
that is going to be played for comedy. Oh, Ultimo's old. Ha ha ha. Look at him. You know, he's going to have to use the door. And Drangi uses that to their advantage. In this match with no seconds and a cage match, they have Zebrats run in as they're opening the cage door for Ultimo and launch weapons into the ring. And that was the first moment where I was just like, oh, this is, this is something special. You know, that's a small thing, but they, they could have done it when Dragon Kid was trying to escape. They could have done it when Strong Machine J was on his ascent, but it would have broken the core structure of the match. They found a moment to do it, which was the door opening for Ultimo, and I can't draw it up better than that. And it was something that, like, everyone in this match, like, even, I, I, I know that they aren't a part of the match, but, like, the act of afterwards, Ultimo just, like, climbing over the camera people, and it's just like, no, no, he's just done with this. And then by the time he's coming back, he's already changed, ready to go, you know? Like, it's just perfect stuff. So for me, this is the best use of Ultimo Dragon in his Dragon Gate career. Something I was thinking about earlier today, you know, Ultimo has been in Dragon Gate now for four years. And you think about the mass turnover of the English-speaking audience and how, you know, Dragon Gate will become somebody's personality for six months and then we never hear from them again. There's obviously the people that will shake their fist and go, well, I didn't like this show because it didn't exist in 2016. And I can't help those people adapt or die. You, you've clearly chosen your path of extinction. But you have now a large portion of our listeners, I would imagine, that know Ultimo as a Dragon Gate wrestler. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Oftentimes, he's just in the touch football match. I find his presence to be welcoming because he's often doing things that are inconsequential outside of the things that we talked about about a month ago when this match was first booked of like, hey, there's this idea maybe that Ultimo was always in these big matches and he's taking over a Dragon Gate and he's pushing himself and this, that, the other thing. And it's not true. The guy's had like four big matches in four years. He just plans them around Kobe World, which I have that's, you know, it makes sense from the perspective of he's a legend. This is our biggest show of the year. Let's do something with them. To me, this is the best use of Ultimo. You know, you have his his early feud with Ata, which I understood, but I didn't necessarily enjoy. You have some good matches in 2020 against the young guys, Kamei, SB Kento, Madoka Kakuta. Uh, and then you sort of go through this this time period where, okay, now he he finds himself in the touch football matches. You know, outside of the, the Masato Yoshino uh, second-to-last match, he, he didn't really do anything of consequence that was great, you know, because the Santo stuff last year was of consequence, but it wasn't great. This was getting maximum value out of Ultimo Dragon, and his return and the headaches that have come with it were entirely worth it for this match alone. Yeah, and it, it is something now that we have the path power forward with Ultimo with him and X Diamante doing whatever and it's going to be back to touch football kind of things just going, now he's kind of someone that he can now tag with more, more so on undercards than like getting like Kinky Horiguchi out there you know and I think that there needs to be kind of an awareness of Ultimo and where he is and what people should expect out of him i feel like we do a pretty good job of like our expectations with ultimo i i won't say that they are the lowest but we know what we're getting with and i think that if you like take a look at the four years like you did it th this is how you use them and i feel like as long as ultimo is wanting to wrestle and is wanting to be based in japan for his wrestling this is what to expect 
maybe there will be another youngster that he wants to have a mass challenge and a longer feud with. But I, I can't expect it to the, like anything that's going to happen with that is going to feel like it's it is just derisive of this. So yeah, no, this was this was it. I, I mean, I really from you think about dead or alive. You know, he teamed with Doi, and I think it was against Diamante and Kai. Maybe was that the match of Dead or Alive? It was uh, DK and Yamato versus uh, Kai and Kento. No, no, no. But 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 this year, this year at Dead or Alive, it was Doi and Ultimo, and it was versus Seven Zebra. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, you're yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I I, I think Uh, I think it was Diamante and Kai. It might have been Diamante and Hio. Might have been Kai and Hio. I don't know. All that matters is the the foundation for this match was built on that undercard Dead or Alive tag match. And uh, for as much as I'd like to critique Ultimo and knock him for being in anything important, I have no notes for the way this feud was built. I mean, this is something that come end of the year Observer time. Diamante versus Ultimo Dragon should absolutely be mentioned in Feud of the Year because it was a proper proper feud, obviously long-term going back years and years and years, but even from May of this year through July of this year, you had your start, you had your middle with the Dragon Kid stuff and the Shun Skywalker stuff and the Strong Machine J stuff all being added into this match, and then you have the payoff with Diamante at the end. It's the best use of Ultimo Dragon imaginable. It's the best use of Ultimo Dragon since 1998 when he was on Nitro. I, I mean, this is... This will go down for me as one of the most memorable things he's done in his career when he eventually retires. Oh, easily. And this will be his top Dragon Gate moment after his return. Completely. 100%. Uh, Dragon Kid. I want to talk about him next. I I make this point a lot. This is not a new conversation starter for the people that have heard this podcast before. But it's something that I still feel the need to bring up. And that is that time works in a funny way. And because of the way that time works now, I I would argue the meaning of time has changed over the last decade. You know, we all have fond memories and strong memories at that of 2007, whereas we, we don't have those strong memories in 2017, and we'll have even less in 2027 because we're constantly getting hit over the head with new, with new, with new. We're consuming more than ever. We're forgetting more than ever. And so time has changed meaning. And because of that, I think people neglect to realize how old Dragon Gate is. Like I said, it's going to be 25 years old next year. And that means that Susumo and that Dragon Kid and that Mochizuki and that Fuji and that Ryo Saito, those day one guys, have now been wrestling consistently for 25 years. And if you're a fan of this promotion, 25 years of wrestling often goes hand in hand with 25 years of greatness. And I just started thinking about Dragon Kid historically. He's incredible. And I think we all, everyone listening to this podcast, you and me included, underrate this guy as an in-ring competitor, as an asset to the company, and what he means to the company. This, uh, as a as a four-way match, would have been great. But Dragon Kid, to me, undoubtedly took this match to another level, and it's something he's been doing now for almost 25 years. Yeah, and it's something that, for him, I he is someone that I just fully expect will be like this until he decides he's done. Like, it, it, after the rough 1999, he has been tremendous like ever since then and in this match i mean you, you 
yes, he was added in, and and I thought that Jay did a tremendous job of working. Why Dragon Kid entered himself into this mess, talking about uh, the video from Mexico and the timing with, of it. But he was just like, it, it was something that like when the match was at that phase before it needed to get down to the 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 people that we all knew it was in question. He was the glue, and I think that that's something that people tend to forget, as you say, like twenty five years and then there's more wrestling now than ever there's but there's still only 24 hours in a day and there's more stuff now than ever it's just i it's sorry to cut you off there it's just i think about this a lot there's just everything there's always everything to do it's maddening yeah no it's one of those things that like you almost like think of like oh it would have been nice to live in an age where it's like oh what happened after you work you went to sleep like there is a part of me that finds that very alluring instead of like constant uh just everything at all at once but uh yeah it's something that dragon kid he's the glue here as he is the glue pretty much in this promotion ever since uh 2000 and i think that he is not going to be someone that i think the average wrestling viewer is going to appreciate the mark he had on the industry and i think it's going to be something that it will only be in retrospect when you hear so many wrestlers say like, oh yeah, no, I got into wrestling because Dragon Gate came to my town and Dragon Kid was there. And I think that only then will people realize like how much of the glue he was. Well, it's funny because he is going to have a few different legacies because not everyone is going to, when they think Dragon Kid, they're going to think Ultra Hurricane Rana and the Sua match and all of the crazy spots that he did when he still had legs. So he'll retire and you'll read a comment about, oh, innovative high flyer crazy spots and then you and i are gonna go glue guy always dependable really grounded dragon gate in a metaphorical sense it's just he's been around that long that he has those different chapters of his career and i started thinking about him in the present day and you know i've been such an advocate of i love what they're doing with yamato this year he's not in in a unit he's just kind of fucking around quite honestly and i like that because yamato has been a heavy everlasting presence in the main event scene for 14 years now this is the year that we can get a break from Yamato and it's nice he hasn't done anything wrong it's just you know we went into Kobe world and Yamato wasn't in the title match I I would I don't know the last time that happened I mean think about that for a second when was the last time there was a Kobe world without Yamato in a title match it would have to be 2007 I I would certainly think so you know this year he's obviously in a big singles match but it wasn't a title match The point is, Yamato not being in a unit, I think has been a service to the company this year. Dragon Kid not being in a unit since high end has been a disservice to the company. This is a guy who was just far too valuable to have him doing unaffiliated tags, random singles matches, for all intents and purposes outside of this match, really sitting on the sidelines this year. That is not the way that Dragon Kid should be used going forward. This is a guy that when I plot out July, August, September number you know high up on the billboard needs to be get dragon kid into a unit i don't care what it is if it's vibes if it's decourage if it's a new unit get this guy doing something because he's far too valuable to be doing what he's been doing for most of this year so yeah no i i think that with his role in this like there there's really like that's another one across all marks so let's talk about the, the the x factor going into the match the person that i was really thinking was going to be able to 
take the ball and run with it. Uh, Strong Machine J, how are you? Let's take a look at Strong Machine J. Uh, we do have reports, and it's beneficial that he is out of King of Gate case. I believe you have more information about Strong Machine J going forward. Is he? Well, hold on. Is he for sure out of King of Gate? Because the last report was that he's out for Corkin this week and is a maybe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So because he, he had a late match in the tournament. Yes. Yeah, so as of this recording, which is. July 5th, 6.55 Central Time, as I look up into the sky, and I think God is about to unleash fury on Chicago. So if I lose connection, uh, just know there's a horrific storm rolling through. But as of recording time, Strong Machine J will not be at the Cork and Hall show on July 7th. Uh, I believe he was booked for the Mochizuki Produce show on July 8th. I don't think that's going to happen either. But his first round King of Gate match is July 14th in Nagoya. And right now, that match is a maybe. What I was told from somebody was Strong Machine Jay's hurt uh, and is a maybe for King of Gate. There were a lot of questions about him seemingly deactivating his Twitter yesterday. And this person brought it to me. It's not the first time he's done that. Uh, Strong Machine Jay has deactivated, reactivated that. I wouldn't read into that. There's at least no news from the person I spoke to of like, this means this or this means that. I think it's just Strong Machine J kind of being a weird guy, and that's where we're going to go from there. But he is hurt, and at this point is labeled as basically a game-time decision for King of Gate. Yeah, and if I'm right, that was the shoulder that he's had surgery on. It would not like surprise me. I, I believe that is a trick one. But let's talk about him in the match. I felt like that he had, a, with the first part of the match being so DK and Ultimo-dependent, he kind of drifted away and at, at, at the same way at the same time was like concerned with Shun during that time. But when it came down to three and it became two on one, I felt like that he really, really kind of showed some of the charisma that we've been seeing over the last year. And I thought that the way that he escaped elimination and that he was able to take out both members of uh, Shun Monte and then get the escape. I thought he had a strong performance. I would have liked it, him not to disappear the way that he did, but that's just the tendency of having a cage like that. Yeah, I, I I will sacrifice a slow start to the match for the, you know, electric finish that he had. Because once this came down to the three guys and it was Zebrats versus Strong Machine J, they first do the spot where it looks like Zebrats are going to escape. Shun Skywalker's at the top of the cage. Strong Machine J starts pulling him down. And, and pulling him down in a real violent, uh, seemingly uncooperative looking way. I mean, it was, it, it felt like a fight again. It, it was, you know, the closest to war games. I think Dragon has ever had. Shun's at the top of the cage with strong machine. Jake contesting. Diamante is all alone. Diamante hops down, save Shun. And you go into this two on one attack again. And then the tides turn and strong machine. J makes this baby face comeback. And I said this in my written review at voices of wrestling.com. The, the strong machine. J comeback made me believe in all things good in the world. It was phenomenal. It was every bit of potential that he's ever had unlocked. And he didn't come across as robotic as he obviously did his first two years in the company. He came across as this human that you wanted to root for and live for and die for. And I was ready to crawl on my hands and knees to Kobe to protect this guy from the beating that he was getting, mask ripped and all. And then he did the comeback himself. He escapes the cage after the uh, sunset flip powerbomb through the table on Shun Skywalker. 
to me, the big takeaway from this is Strong Machine J enter this match, and I think you would agree with this, as someone firmly in the upper mid card. Certainly not on the on the level of a Shun, of a Yoshioka, of a Kakuta, but also somebody ahead of a Jason Lee and a Jackie Funky Kamei and let's say an Ishin. You know, this was a guy in the upper mid card. Would you, would you agree with that assessment? Yes, I would say that he was clear tier below, but he was definitely an upper mid carder. Coming out of this match, we now have Strong Machine J pounding and begging and banging rather not begging but banging on the glass ceiling above his head like he's in the titanic submarine that was lost at sea trying to escape this is a guy that is an inch away from the main event scene an inch away from being like a real player in this company that we have to pay attention to everybody in this match came in in one spot and i think exited in a better spot than they came in. Obviously, Diamante is the big winner here, but Strong Machine J did everything right to me. And this is a guy who I hope is in King of Gate. I hope he can ride that wave of momentum through August, Dangerous Gate, and then into the rest of the year because they have something here. And he's proven himself. Mike, think about the first show of the year. I looked at this earlier today. I thought this was so interesting. First show of the year, it's Osaka number two. We find out real, like right before the show, that, oh, it's going to be a cheering show. Okay, this is exciting. First first cheering show outside of Tokyo uh, since March of 2020 when they ran this building. The main event of that show was a mixed tag. It was Diamante and Madoka Kakuta versus Coach Minora and Yuki Oshioka. Think about where those guys ended up. Diamante, the big winner in this main event. Kakuta, Dreamgate champion. Yoshioka challenging for the Dreamgate championship. Coach Minora wins the Triangle Gate championship and was awesome you know, in that match. I, I really liked what Gold Class did and Minora specifically. On that show, Strong Machine J, six-man tag match, Jason Lee, Strong Machine J, and Ultimo Dragon versus Genki Horiguchi, Ho-Ho Loon, and Punch Tabanaga. I find that to be relevant because Dragon Gate put their cards on the table in that main event. They said, these four guys are going to matter this year. Here's their story. Pay attention to them. Strong Machine J was hiding in the abyss, and it wasn't until he pinned Shun Skywalker and Ray De Parejas, succeeded... In the, in the champion game, no soccer match. He didn't win, obviously, but it was like, oh, okay, he can hang. Strong Machine J can be a guy. And then it's built on that ever since, ever since, ever since. And now he's here. And we see the payoff of all of that. Just a tremendous outing from Strong Machine J. And they still have him and Shun in their back pocket. Oh, my God. There's, I mean, there's... There's so much more they can do with that. That is... You know, we'll talk about Shun in just a second. They have more to do with these guys that doesn't feel over at all i mean that feels like we have tag matches in singles matches and maybe a unit disbands match which who would have thought you know even a year ago when they were doing a lot of shooting kz stuff zebrats versus natural vibes a unit disbands match it could come down to strong machine j defending natural vibes and i don't think that's a position that you or i ever expected him to be in but right now he feels like the beating heart of natural vibes yeah, and it's something that if that match were to happen, I feel like the turn has to be from the person leaving vibes. The betrayer has to be on Strong Machine J, not on KZ anymore. Like, it just seems like that is the thing that, yes, KZ is a leader. Yes, it's that the unit still is a KZ unit, but we have reached the point in its lifespan where it's doing less for KZ and it's doing more for a lot of the other members. I completely agree. So for me, uh, again, you know, Diamante 
is going to get all the press, and he should. This is, you know, this is Diamante's night. This is Diamante's story. But we can't just blow past Strong Machine J and the work that he did here because he was he was in a very safe position. You know, even if if he just existed in this match, he would have been okay going forward. But he, just like he's done all year, took another step up, and he slowly crawled up this ladder of success. And now he he is just a a, a small glancing blow away from that main event scene and if there was anybody questioning in may you know hey does this guy belong in the Rewa six i think the answer is clear now that he does yeah no it, originally when i was writing that piece it was going to be about strong machine j last week and it kind of like evolved out of it but he has now firmly like put it that behind him about being the sixth in the Rewa six okay so let's talk about the person that on commentary was called a fucking snake can we talk Shun about the Rewa musketeers real quick i'm sorry can we take oh, 30 oh, oh, seconds oh, please these... oh, oh, oh. You, you mean i get to make fun of shoda amino for like a minute i, I have the... like 10 minutes of shooter material man come on let's do it these fucking losers in my mentions and it's all look it's all because rover retweeted me and i love rover that's not a shot at him but these fucking losers in my mentions when i said that new japan was copying a drangate main event and they go, oh, how was Drangate come up with the Musketeers? No, you fucking idiot. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that Drangate had a very public, very noteworthy angle where they said, we are the Rainbow Generation. Here we come. And then a few months later, New Japan was like, well, we've already admitted that the way we were training guys was wrong and that we should do what the Dragon System is doing. What if we also just completely ape the verbiage they use for their main adventures with our new generation? I mean, it's just, it's absurd. Yeah, and it's something also that, like, when you look at this, it's like, oh, this is what you have. And, ah, God, each time I see Shota Amino, the more and more angry I get about this. Like, say what you will about the Reiwa 6. I think we could say definitively all six have an ounce of the dog in them, whereas there's more dog in a cat cafe than there is in Shota Amino. God, that was like, that was like a vintage Jim Cornette phrase. That was really good. I was more going for hating ass Spurrier, but I'll take that. That was like that was like like RF video Cornette era. Just like, oh damn, more more dog at a cat cafe. That's good. That that feels southern. I like that. Hey, I'll take that. Uh shoot Skywalker. Like, I don't know if he could have gone to like another hype, but I feel like coming out of this, like what a performance from the guy. Like we wanted like, yes, this is Diamante's match, but it was all facilitated by Shun Skywalker. I, I, I'm almost out of words to say about this guy. I, I think we are really witnessing something great with Shun. And, and it is not this character or this year. It, it is a career of greatness. And, and I briefly want to just go through the, the timeline of Skywalker's career, just in case maybe, you know, if this is somebody's first cage match, first Gate show, first time watching Shun Skywalker, whatever. You know, this is a guy who debuted in 2016. Shun Watanabe didn't have a mask, didn't have anything. November of 2016 takes on the Shun Skywalker character and uh, certainly creates a lot of buzz because in the ever-polished and pretty Dragon Gate world, Shun Skywalker did not look like that. He looked like an, an abomination in not only his first ring outfit, but many of the ones that followed. Uh, he looked like a guy that was out, out of Michinoku Pro in 1994, and that was both a good thing and a bad thing. Okay, uh, uh, j j j just provide some clarity on this for new people. 
So his color was green, but they did not get his first gear all in one color of green. Like his gloves were one color, his mask was another, his bodysuit was another. It was a hot mess, and it stayed that way basically until Mochizuki Dojo came about. Yeah, so you know that that, that happens at the end of 2016. If you watch Shun in 2017, and really for the for the first half of 2018, I, I picked up on this in the moment. I was so fascinated by it when it happened. Basically. Shun on these pay-per-views would be in the opening match of every one. It would be an eight-man tag with the young guys versus whoever. They would all do their spots. They would do a dive train. They would all clear the ring. And then Shun Skywalker, time after time after time again, was able to hit a beautiful top rope moonsault to the floor. That was his thing. That was the thing he did well. There were a lot of holes in Shun's game, but this was a guy that could very easily uh, do his thing and do it well. And that thing was the moonsault. So for the first year and a half of his career proper, he's just the springboard moonsault guy. He slowly starts to develop uh, a bit more of an in-ring presence. We see the bicycle kick come into play. We see, oh, this guy's kind of charismatic, interesting. He does, the first real big break for him is he and Mochizuki do the All Japan Junior Tag League in 2018. And notably, they have the match. It's those two against Shuji Kondo. And I think he was still teamed with Kaz Hayashi at that point blow away match. Uh, it's Mochizuki versus Kondo for the first time in 14 years. It's Skywalker versus Kondo for the first time ever. They go out there. They absolutely destroy. They come back. There's a twin gate match. It's BB Hulk and Yamato versus Shun and Mochizuki. It's one of the best twin gate matches of all time. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, Shun Skywalker is not just the flippy guy. Like there's, there's something here. And our thought was maybe they have their next brave gate champion. So we go into 2019. You and I have done a retrospective on this since. We obviously talked about it a lot in the moment. The rookie ranking tournament and the, uh, the beginning of 2019, Dragon Gate had seven rookies, put them in a tournament. Shun Skywalker wins. He beats Kaito Ishida in the finals of January. He beats Ben K in February when no one was beating Ben K. And then he goes on and he wrestles Pac for the Dream Gate belt in 2019. That match, by the way, the biggest crowd in Osaka number two in Dragon Gate post-OWE split to this day. All of a sudden, it's like, holy shit, Shun's like a guy. He's kind of in the same position that Strong Machine J is in right now. He goes out there, has a great May, leaves Mochizuki Dojo, has the killer match with KZ at Kobe World that year, which I think really brought a lot of eyeballs on him. 2019, uh, the end of that year, he's aligned with Ben K, who was the Dreamgate champion. Uh, probably the, the least satisfying era of his career because they had a lot of big matches that weren't necessarily great. They were just kind of good. And then 2020, he goes off to Mexico comes back and wins the Dreamgate belt. And from there, you have the two definitive eras. You have Masquerade Shun Skywalker, who kicked ass as a baby face, had all these great multi-man tags, really put the company on its back in 2021. And then you have Zebrat Shun Skywalker. And for the last year and a half, he's been the most compelling character in wrestling. You know, I think a lot of people would point to an MJF for that award, but Shun hasn't had a dud like double or nothing 2023. He's been consistently great this entire time, and it's just becoming a reoccurring theme in his career. Wherever Shun Skywalker goes, greatness follows. Yeah, and it's something that it with him, he, the big thing was in 2019 was like, oh, he does not really have a character. And he came back from excursion as this uh very stoic baby face uh just like wanting to form dragon gate around his image and he from there like was known for like being a bad charisma charisma guy until 
December 2011 or 2021. And ever since then, I mean, I think like, like comparing it to MJF is almost not fair to MJF. I think that it is something that where uh, Shun Skywalker has evolved over his heel turn since 2022. MJF has been a very static character. And to me that, that, that was something that is very, very clear about MJF is that there's like the same things where as Shun Skywalker innovates and I feel like took it to the next level in this cage match basically doing like it, like it was like not only a stab in the back in 2021 when he shoved uh, uh, Dragon Daya in front of Diamante loses mask that was a stab in the back this time this is not just like a stab in the front it was like a Oh, we are just going to completely destroy you and he, he stabbed him in the eye socket, basically. Yeah, yeah, he he did, and and that's not also to mention like the what happened to Diamante, like injuring Diamante and all of that. It's just I think he, he is one of the most dynamic characters in all of pro wrestling, and I'm really excited to see where he goes after this, and especially with the fact that he's going to be doing another U.S. tour in September. Like it'll be interesting to see like how they get to that and what he does coming back from it. So I, I bring up the the timeline of Skywalker's career just to kind of put into perspective, like, hey, you know, yes, he's young, but he's not new. You know, this is a guy who's now seven years pro. Seven years is a very long time. You know, obviously 2016 feels like forever ago. And I started thinking about Shun historically and where he fits in in the lineage of the dragon system. And I came up with three tiers of wrestlers. And I want to know where you would put Shun in which group you would put him in, or if you would put him below the third tier. So are you ready for these groups? And I'll read all of them to you. And then you can kind of tell me where you think he lands. Okay. Okay. Tier one, this is dragon system, historical greatness, Shima, Shingo, Yamato, Masato Yoshino, Masaki Mochizuki. Tier two, Susumu Mochizuki, Milano Collection AT, Dragon Kid, Naruki Doi, and Eita. Tier three, Genki Horiguchi, Akira Tozawa, Bin K, BB Hulk, KZ. If you're slotting Shun Skywalker historically, which of those tiers, which of those five headed dragons, I want to say it's Mount Rushmore, but there's five guys, not four. Where are you placing him at this exact moment coming off of this cage match and that performance? Well, first off, I have to aggressively uh, refute Akira Tozawa being in the third tier. How dare you? But uh, uh, it, <laughs> a separate conversation. We'll, we'll circle back to that next week. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just get my pitchfork ready, man. Come on. Uh, I think with the way you looked at it, he's already in that second tier. And the only thing that stops people from putting in him into that tier is that we're talking about seven years, not 25. Give him a year. I, I think he might end up by that point having a definitively better, more prosperous, more successful Dragon Gate career than Ata. And Ata's done it all. You know, I, look, not a wrestler I love. Uh, I've spent a lot of time talking about that, but Ata's undeniably, you know, a core of Dragon Gate. You can't tell the story of this promotion without talking about Ata in his various incarnations. We've hit that point with Shun Skywalker, where there's now multiple phases of Shun's career that really matter historically, none more than what he's done as a heel, which has just been next level brilliant stuff. And let's put it this way when we talk just one to one about Ata. 
Ata achieved that, but he should have been first tier. Like that. Yes. I, I, that, he, he's, he's a lottery pick that was an all-star, but not a Hall of Famer. And that will forever be a black mark on his legacy. Yeah. Like, like that's the, the thing is, like, if you really want to, like, boil it down. So with Ata, you're talking about 12 years, really, 12 years. And how many of those years can we say are complete washes? Oh, God. Well, okay. So 12 years ago was 2011. So he's irrelevant in 11 and 12. He's good 13, 14, 15 irrelevant or at least not enjoyable 16 17 i don't like his 2018 at all because i wasn't under the dragon kid feud so I, we're like four four of those years historically i'm just not into what ato was doing whatsoever that's a third of his dragon gate career and that and that's not including the last year which has been a confusing mess right whereas you, you compare contrast that with skywalker he had maybe the Shun Watanabe phase into the bad mask phase. But by the time Mochizuki Dojo was rolling in 2017, he was already off to the races. Well, and even that stuff, you're talking about a young boy and then a guy who was talented, but just had a bad look. And, you know, you can't, can't I'm not going to hold that against him. The, the, the blemish on his career is that late 2019 stuff with him and Ben K because they got a lot of big matches and they none of them really hit the way that you thought they would. Like there was Shun and Ben versus Speed Muscle. That is a match that you and I should remember spots from it. We should remember that show. We should remember the star rating. And it just wasn't that. That's really the blemish on his career is, hey, this guy had about four or five matches that should have been great that were merely good. That's where we're at seven years into his career. Yeah, so I... I it, do I think he'll break into that first tier? I don't know. I think that those five people you had in that first tier, those are very singular kind of wrestlers, and Shun is his own person. Maybe he can carve his way up there, but I don't see a reason that why he won't be the high second tier at this if things all break the way they are and trending the way they are, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I it's there's a reason I brought it up because I, I at least and I, I you know if he breaks into that tier one. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy. And let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four month lifespan, two-way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24-7 customer support, and you'll love this, none of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a Smart Lock 330, and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding. 
or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufeofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. It's not for another five years. It's not for another 10 years. We really have to be talking about somebody special at that point, but it at least has to be on people's radars. I mean, would you agree that at this point he's had a better career than Ben K? And that's not a knock on Ben, but it's just to me, that's how it's played out. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just how the cards were dealt that like, it's not Shun's fault that Ben K was someone who had like concussion issues that popped up at times and then had a really deflating Dreamgate run that put him kind of in the wilderness. And it was only really until he got bored watching YouTube videos that he discovered himself, you know, like it's just reality. You, you think about, you know, high end Ben K and just the, the albatross that that was on these shows and he figured it out. You know, he got into gold class. It's all worked out. But Shun's never had a, a period of his career that was like that. Yeah, it's just it, the, it's the been, most you could say is masquerade Mike segments. Yeah, and I'm and I'm you know that that might keep him out of tier one, but that's not going to keep him out of tier two, quite frankly. And who's to say if he ever turns face again, or when he turns face again, he's able to pull from this and add that to it that we now ha- he's able to have babyface promos. Who's to say? It's a it's a funny that you say you know when he turns face because it's so not even on my radar. It just feels like there's so much more juice to squeeze. And I'm not saying you were advocating for him to turn face, but you know you still have the issue with Strong Machine J. You sort of have this permanent issue with KZ. You have whatever comes out of Zebrats going their own way, which I think is happening sooner rather than later. It seems like you might have unfinished business with D Courage. Let alone the fact that you have M3K there where you haven't had a singles match against Mochizuki since 2019, a match I gave four and three quarter stars to, haven't really had any, 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 any interactions with Mochizuki Jr. It's not like there's a classic Shun versus Susumu match out there. Like, just existing in the space that he's in now, it feels like the rest of the roster is at play. Like, this guy's untapped potential still, and we've been in this character for a year and a half now, but everything Shun touches turns out better because he's involved, and we're now at a point where it seems like the guys that Shun works with come out better because they've been with Shun in the ring. Yeah, absolutely so. Like, that face turn, when I said it, I'm not thinking anytime soon because you have all of that, but it's something that, I mean... 
flashback to 2014 or 2013. Were we thinking that Yamato would have that big face turn that next year? No, not necessarily in 2014. No, that's 2016 and 2015, you know? like Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a very interesting position to be in because I just listed out all the things he can still do as a heel and then when he turns face, it's going to be a whole other ballgame. And then let's talk about the biggest winner of Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival 2023. We knew this would probably be the case. Like, did you really think that uh, Shun or SMJ were going to lose their masks? Well, I, I, I said from the beginning, you know, I think this is the vehicle for Diamante to lose. But I also I couldn't entirely rule out the idea that Strong Machine J would be the guy to be unmasked. Now, I thought it was going to be Diamante. It didn't surprise me that it was Diamante, but... You know, there, there there were possibilities there. But once we got into the cage, it was like, all right, let's do this Diamante thing here. This is the time to do it. And it absolutely, you know, it felt right by the end of it. It just was something for me that, like, of course, I couldn't discount, you know, the big swerve, especially after a post-2021 uh, mask match kind of world. But I just, for how much I expected this to happen, I did not expect the face turn to go as well as it did. So, as you all know, uh, Diamante lost the cage match. He unmasked, uh, and they they kept the lucha tradition. That was something that they did and didn't do. It was one of those things that wasn't really picked up on. Uh, the, of course, lucha tradition. You reveal your real name. You reveal how long you've been in a pro uh, case. Thir- starting at thirteen, thirteen. That's why. <laughs> like I'm used to hearing, like, oh, they started in their teens, but thirteen. That is one I did not expect for Diamante. No, he's got an insane career, you know, and I I wrote this in my review, you know, when he he debuted in Dragon, it was August of 2019, and I wrote, Diamante just appeared, and I was like, I don't know who this guy is, he's a luchador, he seems muscular, which is good for R.E.D., and we'll see what comes of him, because despite the fact that he had been wrestling at that point for 15 years, it was, you know, CMLL at a time where I didn't pay attention to the promotion, and all Japan pro wrestling in 2018. And that was only a, a, a few matches. He was a guy that was completely off my radar, even though he had been wrestling, uh, you know, by that point for years and years. Yeah. And it's something that like his career beforehand, uh, he was uh, affiliated with CMLL a lot in his youth, but as CMLL kind of is, he did not really either. It, it seems like I, I was not watching CMLL at that age, but from everything I've read, it just seems like it just was someone who fell out of favor, was doing indie spots, and, and then did le- he uh, Lucha Libre Elite case. Is that a blast from your past right now? It, it is, because Elite was a big uh, entry point to Lucha for me, because I actually really enjoyed parts of that promotion, and I think if it came around now, I would be super, super into it. Yeah, so he had a role in Elite, but it was not necessarily like a starring role. And then from there, he kind of was just an indie wrestler until uh, him and Ultimo got together. And that's what got him into Dragon Gate. I've actually been trying to see, like, looking through, like, messages I have with people to see the first time, like, I asked about, like, what's the deal with this Diamante guy? (laughs) And I did, and there was a little bit about that in 2019. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something that, like, who could think that now? Uh, uh, for, foreigner Mount Rushmore. We've got Pac. We've got Ricochet. We have Fomita, I would still say. With this performance, do we now have place there for the former Diamante? 
oh, I mean, I would have put him in there in the top four before this match. I mean, now the conversation really becomes where does this unmasking rank in terms of Pac winning the Dreamgate and Ricochet uh, being Dreamgate and Freedomgate champion at the same time? He, you know, all due respect to Flamita, who I love and, you know, I really loved his time in Dreamgate. He has blown by anything that Flamita has ever done. This is now a conversation when you talk about foreigners and Dragon it's pockets, Ricochet and Diamante. And those are the guys that have to be mentioned. And, and, you know, it's Jason Lee. If you want, it's always weird because Jason Lee's Asian, but he's not Japanese. And so I think people forget that he's also a foreigner. I, I never know how to brace that subject, but for the sake of conversation, it's Diamante, Pac and Ricochet. As of right now, I think you still have Pac, Ricochet, Diamante in that order, but in due time, Diamante could very easily be a Dreamgate champion, and then we'll have to revisit this conversation. Then we will have to have that conversation. I completely co-sign with you about that. Like, yeah, get the Dreamgate. Then we're talking about where he is really amongst the uh, top foreigners. Uh, During the match, uh, he was brought down from the cage and was really hard off. He has been completely pulled for uh, King of Gate. He had a match in Cork, and that has been canceled it was against the sumo mochizuki who will be getting a first round bye with that uh, case i know you have a little bit more about this uh one thing i wanted to touch on i did have uh, several people reach out about like did this is it for diamante's run in dragon gate up uh, i net no uh that there's no indication of that and the company is treating this that that he will be with the company it might be a bit but he will be with the company going forward no that's the big thing so what i heard about diamante was the person I talked to, they said, you know, they don't know if he's hurt or if he just needs to reset himself. And I think that's relevant, one, from a storyline perspective, because you have to remember when Dragon Daya lost his mask, he disappeared for a month and then returned to the January Cork in uh, January 2022. And it was like, oh, well, okay, there's Dragon Daya. Sure, why not? So there's storyline precedent that says, okay, he can go away for a month, for two months, and then come back. You got to remember, Diamante debuted August 2019, stayed during COVID, which is why he's in the position he's in. And this is certainly not a shot at Jimmy, the other luchador who was there at the time, but, you know, look at their careers. Diamante stayed in Japan. Jimmy did not. We were told, hey, Jimmy went home. Probably not coming back because he went home. Diamante stayed. He became family. Look at what just happened to him. Okay, it all worked out for him in the end. But other than being injured this year, he really hasn't had a break. So it makes sense if he's not hurt to give him a bit of a reset before he comes back with no mask. If he is hurt, obviously, he's going to get some time off. The thing that was strongly emphasized to me from the person that I talked to in the company was that we might not see him for a while, but he's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. He is a Drangate wrestler. So put those thoughts at ease. Uh, unless something truly shocking happens, which will blindside people inside the company, Diamante is going to be a Drangate wrestler going forward. Yeah, to my knowledge, he still has not been back to Mexico since COVID. He, he went back for... Oh, did, he did? He went back for Christmas. I don't think he worked okay. in Mexico, but he went back uh, for Christmas, I think, last year. Because I remember there was a, a really touching social media post of him on the airplane talking about what it meant to come oh, home right. to Mexico. Yeah. It was just, it was a nice, I, I, you know, I, the, the Drangate Dojo during COVID was a very scary time. And, and the fact that he stayed, he's been rewarded ever since. Yeah. So like, I wouldn't be, I, I forgot about that last Christmas. I wouldn't be surprised if he's like 
going home for a little bit, you know, like taking off because since he's now out of King of Gate, there's no reason for him really to be on shows until he's ready to relaunch. And he might be going home visiting family. Good for him. Yeah. And, and to reemphasize, you know, there there's the storyline precedent here. I mean, the, the only one other one I can think of is, you know, Darkness Dragon Dragon Kid. Darkness Dragon lost his mask, but then also wrestled for like another month and a half as Darkness Dragon before he redebuted as Kness. So it's they're they're always a little weird with what they do post unmaskings. So it's unfortunate we lose the Susumu match. I certainly hope they revisit that at some point. But this is not eyeball emoji. This is not alarm emoji. This is not ask questions. It, it's gonna we're gonna get the Diamante story. Don't worry about that. It's the end of the chapter, not the book of yes. Diamante and Dragon Gate. And gosh, uh, I I don't think there the, there can really be enough words like describing how successful this was. I mean they, I mean I think part of it was Ultimo coming out and like them having that embrace and Ultimo like lead the crowd a little bit. I mean he was cutting a promo in Spanish, so probably was helpful to have someone out there for that. But it, I I don't think you can come away from Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival 2023 and not think that the person that came out of the show looking the best was Diamante. It, it all, I mean, it all worked out the way they drew it up. I, I specifically, I enjoyed the Tokyo sports recap of this match where they talked about, you know, Diamante unmasked and something along the lines of received massive calls from the female fans in attendance. Like they, we, we told you guys, He's going to unmask. He's going to be hot. I didn't realize he just looked like Mexican Yamato, which is a whole thing that I can't wait to see what they do with. But he unmasked. He's a good-looking guy. Ultimo gave him the seal of approval. I would really hope that he's back at that August Corkin. Now, it's weird because he's going to miss King of Gate. The King of Gate finals is that August Corkin. It just seems like that is the show to do Shun and Kai or Shun and Hyo or Shun and Ishin, whoever versus Ultimo and Diamante at that Nagoya show, which is Ultimo's hometown. It's a shame that I don't think they're going to go in that direction because I don't know if they'll be back or not, but we clearly have some sort of Ultimo Diamante tag team that needs a big match or two. And that seems like the perfect place to do it. Now it's just a matter of scheduling. You know, Shun has never won King of Gate. Hmm. Mm. I mean, mm. who's to boy, say? Boy, boy, did that just unlock something in my brain. I, I hope it's unlocking what I intended it to. Who's to say that Shun's not finding himself in the finals of King of Gate in that August core again? And who's to say that Diamante might not just show right back up and we're going into that? So just put it out there. That that leaves me with some things to think about as we progress in this podcast. Oh, yeah. But... uh. I just like everything about this. It, it's going to be so cool. Like the the thing, like when we talk about Ultimo, I feel satisfied. One thing about Dragon Kid, I feel like remembering like how great he is. When I talk about Strong Machine J in this match, we're talking about someone who took the who took the challenge and came out looking a lot better. When we talk about Shun Skywalker, we talk about a masterpiece and watching someone at really at the heights of his talent really do incredible things in a professional wrestling ring and in the context of professional wrestling and then you have diamante and coming out of this it's excitement i can't wait to see what's next for him they, they couldn't have stuck the landing any better than they did it's a, a testament to dragon gate a match that will 
uh, being my top 10 this year. You know, I went four and three quarter stars on this. It's one of the most memorable cage matches in history. And the ending with Diamante taking his mask off, one of the most memorable moments in Dragon Gate history. Yeah, I was four and a half on it. Cage matches are just so tough to, especially like the, the, the steel cage survival match. Uh, is so tough to always like put a rating on it. Like whereas uh, Shingo and and Komao Chikawa, easy five stars. I knew that immediately. <laughs> five stars, no notes. However, this one, like, how do you grade like something on this that like goes in so many different directions? Like, I don't know. Like, it, it, it is something that, yeah, it's a four and a half star match. It will probably be in my top ten list, but I'm going to come away with this like thinking more about this match and this cage match five years from now than I probably will most things I've watched in 2023. Sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and I want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there has never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page, which is betstamp.app backslash VOW, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and its unique benefits. All of these sportsbooks have valuable sign-up offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top offer at each one. When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, please consider signing up for your next sportsbook at betstamp.app backslash VOW. So that was our first of what they call double main events case. Uh, that was, of course, the one that went on last. However, the other main event was the Open the Dreamgate title match. Uh, D-Courage exploding. Uh, Madoka Kakuta was successful in his first defense of the Open the Brief, Open the Dreamgate with two rolling lariats over Yuki Yoshioka. And I, I guess we, we, it, this is a yes or no question case. Did they do enough in the ring to make up for the build? No. no I'm with this, you there. This, this, is, this is a weird match in that it was good, but it's the worst thing both of these guys have done in the last year. You know, Yoshioka, his Dreamgate run, uh, you know, he beat Kai, which was great. The Menorah match, you liked a little bit more than I did. But once you once you get past the mess that was last uh, last year's Kobe World, it's like, okay, well, you know, it's Yamato and it's Mochizuki and it's Eita. And uh, uh, who, who did he beat at final game? Was it Ben? Yeah, it was Ben. Yeah, and the, the Ben match, and then the Shun match, which, you know, a top 10 match for me this year as well. Uh, into Ray De Purihas, where he and Kakuta are great. And then from there, you transition into, into Kakuta versus Skywalker. These guys are operating at like a baseline of four and a half stars in their big matches. And then they were saddled here with a really weird build. Like I talked about, it seems to be a thing with Rio Saito's booking where he gets a little too cute with these Dreamgate matches, and it seems to to come back and bite him a little bit. And this was good, but just by the sheer uh, comparison of everything else they've done since August of last year, this is the worst thing they've done. Yeah, and it's something where I don't know with the story that was presented that it, we could. This might have been like 
yeah, this this is what we got. This might have been with uh, how things are presented about as good as it could have gone. You know, like I mean, I was. I think I'm a little higher on it than you. Uh, what would you have on it? First off, I gave it three and three quarters. Okay, I was a half star higher. I was four and a quarter on it. And that's okay. I, interesting. And I think a lot of that might be because I, I think in general, am higher on Yuki Yoshioka than everyone else, and I really enjoyed the legwork and the selling of the legwork throughout it. But it just was something where, at the end of it, it you just it was not to the level. And we knew that it was going to have an issue that it needed to hit to that level. And I can't walk away saying that I was satisfied with this, even though I four and a quarter stars, I absolutely hated it. You know, (laughs) it's yeah. You know, I'll make this point out of it. The match was a disappointment because I think for their own sake, it needed to be something truly great that could rival the hour-long conversation that we just had about the cage match, and it wasn't that. At the same time, can we all pump the brakes, take a deep breath, and relax on Madoka Kakuta discourse for just a second? I saw far too many comments this weekend. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if he can hack at his Dreamgate champion. Are we sure he's a top guy? You know, do they need to get the belt off of him? Everybody relax. From August of 22 through May 28th of 23, this guy was the hottest wrestler in the company who continuously elevated things just from simply existing in the presence of the moment. He was saddled with the mash that he should have gotten, and the angle that did not go with it, I don't think anybody would have succeeded with the friendly uh, angle and air quotes, if you will, situation that these guys were saddled with. But let's not throw away 11 months of history and undoubted success and scratch our chins and question whether or not he can hang at the highest level when he's proven that he can't. I saw far too much of that this weekend. And to add on that before I let you go, this was one of those matches where I read a bunch of comments. Oh, crowd's dead. Oh, oh, crowd's not into this. So I was expecting, you know, uh, a library when I when I watched this match. And then I finally watched. I was like, wait a minute, what, what are they talking about? Like, the crowd was super into this. You know, there were spots that didn't work. Specifically, there's that Kakuta snap pile driver spot about three quarters of the way through the match. It didn't really fit in with the match structure. It kind of threw off the pacing. And the crowd didn't pop for it because it was also awkward. But if you remove, let's say, 25 seconds, I'm not I'm not sure what else they were supposed to do. Uh, This was very clearly a match that, again, you know, you're going to throw most of the 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 drawing power on the show to Yamato Hiromu in the cage match. And if you want to give a sliver to Shingo and a sliver to the Dreamgate match, I won't fight you. But let's not act like this was, you know, uh, a clap crowd that these guys were wrestling in front of. This was very clearly a crowd invested in the outcome of this match. And the thing that I wonder about that is we have talked to people that were in the building and almost universally case, what did they say about the crowd throughout the night? Great crowd. That tells me uh, that may, and, and I know that this is the case sometimes that tells me maybe the mix was off, you know, 
Like, if people there are saying no, the crowd was oh, great. I, I, and I don't even. I, I don't. I don't even want to entertain that conversation. It, the crowd was hot. I, I don't. Yeah. I just. I people are wrong about that. I'm sorry. You know, and this could go into well, they weren't as over as Yamato, and they weren't as over as Hiromu. Okay, you're. I'll secede that point. I know that's not the victory lap that you think it is. It's very clearly yeah. a match that people cared about. Yeah, yeah, there are people that went to the show just to see the Hiromu match. It's not a, it, it was enough to like make it noticeable, but it was not a thing that the crowd sat on their hands throughout the rest of their show. People, come on. But yeah, yeah. It, here, it, here's here's a here's a note from somebody that was in the building, which I this you know maybe irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, but I'll read it here anyways. Uh, fan in the building, Yoshioka and Kakuta deciding they were going to do to work a slow paced classic caught me off guard a bit, but they pulled it off. So double good on them. So, I mean, look, I wrote that in my review. They worked this match like it was the main event of the fucking Tokyo Dome. I mean, it was it was big and slow, arguably to a fault. But the last half of the match, when they're hitting each other as hard as they can with these lariat counters, I, I mean, I just, I, I question what you're watching if you're not into that at least slightly. I mean, that that's a you problem at that point, not a them problem. Yeah, and it and, and again, I might go... And just click through the show on the Japanese feed just to see. Because I'm wondering about that. I know you don't want to give them the ammo for it. I think that that, that could very much be the issue. But I, I, I think what we're kind of getting to about this was they had the match that they were going to have. But there was there was a ceiling to that match that was no fault of their own. Yeah, I, 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 fully, I fully agree with that assessment. I, I think we're all going to have a different tune about Kakuta. 48 hours from now when he and Masaki Mochizuki tear down Cork and Hall. And so everybody, everybody just relax on the Madoka Kakuta discourse. I promise you it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, any more thoughts about the Dreamgate? No, that's all I got. Yep. So let's talk about this Yamato and Hiromu business now, as it is one of the highlight things on the show. Hiromu wins with a time bomb too. This was the version of the match where Hiromu just won clean. And, uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't a bad match. It just was not going to be the match that we were hoping for, or like it was the least interesting outcome, I would say. That is true. It was certainly the least interesting outcome just because there was, you know, it's, it's, it's Yamato. There was always an idea that he could show up, you know, win this match on a, on a roll-up and then work a New Japan show for the junior title. I really, you know, it, it wasn't the, the, the front runner, but you can't rule something like that out. I enjoyed the match. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see a lot of discourse about this, which I think makes me think people were disappointed by it. It was a fine match. You know, I, I, I don't, it was fine. Three and a half stars. Yeah. And I, uh, I bought the Frankensteiner of the almighty. Going yeah, great, to the great, yeah, yeah. great tease. Yeah. That was like, okay, that's what, if we're going straight to Hiromu wins clean, I'm glad that there was that tease that we all kind of bought into for it. Uh, I, th there were moments of this match that I thought were kind of cute. Uh, did you notice Yamato doing his, his old school battleship hide under the ring trick? I popped huge for it. I love that. That was like when we were doing the DGUSA series, that was the thing that was like, Oh, Yamato was so cool was whenever he would pull off that. And it was just, it was a fine, fun, uh, to just highlight match it, it was something that like i guess i always like i was pretty low on it coming in here and a lot of that just was like okay it's going to be 13 minutes hiromu penning him clean and that's what we got but it was like mid-level going for it 
I, it, this all comes down to just what your expectation of the match was. And I, I thought, you know, hey, maybe this will be like a four-star match, but I didn't have match of the year sort of expectations in my mind. And if you did, I can see how this was a disappointment. I, you know, I, to me, it was kind of what I thought it was going to be. I'll say this, and this is pure, unfiltered Dragon System jerk-off hour. I get that, and I, I acknowledge that up front. I liked that this match existed because it was interesting to me from a historical standpoint of like, oh, Hiromu is a New Japan system guy who is very clearly a product of a post-Dragon system world. You know, he came through the dojo. He's had unparalleled success as a junior. But this isn't the next coming of Tatsuma Fujinami. You know, this isn't even a, a, the second coming of Liger. This is a guy who was very clearly inspired by Shima and by Dragon Kid and by, you know, Toriyaman and Drangate in the early days, and he's now doing it on the highest level. And for that reason alone, I like that this match existed. And again, that's pure jerk-off Dragon Gate stuff uh, from a Dragon Gate fan, but I think it's worth pointing out. I thought that was very interesting watching this match. Yeah, and it's something that when you think about excursions in New Japan, like they have, they've had that same relationship for so long, but at least during this modern era, Hiromu's excursion kind of was the, the big CMLO one, right? And yeah. it, it's easy to kind of see how some of those like post uh, Dragon Gate tendencies could kind of happen with that. And it's it, he's a fascinating wrestler. Like I find him sometimes a little bit uh too cute by half but he is someone that like i like 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 the paths and the stories that people kind of take and i feel like that that just like the the overall hiromu versus dragon lee feud like that was something that i think could only happen like in a post dragon gate world in a way here's a question for you and i i'm not trying to prove a point but it's not a leading question i'm just curious as to what your answer is going to be you see right now in the dilapidated Japanese ecosystem, All Japan working with Gleet, All Japan working with Noah, Nakajima versus Miyahara. You've got New Japan guys on All Japan shows. You see all of this camaraderie between the uh, more mainstream friendly promotions. This match to me was Lek presents Yamato versus Hiromu. This was a money mark match paid for by the same guy that pays to have Tetsumi Fujinami and Leona on show after show after show. This was not New Japan partnering with Dragon Gate. Would you agree with that assessment? Is there anything that you would add to that? Because you're kind of the guy that I go to on a lot of this stuff. And it means nothing, but I also feel like it's worth maybe differentiating hey, New Japan's working with all of these promotions, and hey, Lek paid for this match between two guys that had a, a Twitter feud. Yeah, uh, this match came about probably because as they make good for for having those guys on the Junior Festival. <laughs> like, it, it, yeah, oh, like, like, 100%. So thinking that this is Dragon Gate and New Japan forming some sort of relationship or the Sponge guy you know, connecting, collecting another stone in his 2023 Promoter of the Year campaign. This was a neat thing, but this is something that I feel like could have happened without uh, Mr. Nakamori existing. If there was a show that there was Yamato and a lot of Dragon Gate guys appearing at, I mean, it wasn't Yamato, just Yamato. It was Yamato, 
Dragon Kid and Shun Skywalker, and you get Hiromu back. If if the Sponge Guy didn't exist and you heard this happen, case would you be surprised of like a sort of agreement that this would happen? You go send three guys for this one, but then you get one big guy back for your big show. No, it, you know it make it makes sense just in the way we understand wrestling. Right. For whatever reason, I, I feel a need to say, hey, this isn't Gleet and All Japan together. This isn't Nagata and All Japan. You know, this isn't New Japan, or I'm sorry, this isn't, you know, no one All Japan doing everything they have to pop a Korkin number with Nakajima Miyahara. This is something different. You know, we need to look at this again in the same way that we look at Leona appearing on a show here and there. This was a money mark match, and I'm glad this match existed, but it's different than New Japan continuing to plant their seed and then later pillage all of these promotions they're working with. Yeah, and th- this is kind of an aside. I've been uh, rereading Stan Hansen's book, The Last Outlaw, for a show I'm going to be appearing on soon. And it's something that, like, reading how the, the business was uh, conducted in the 70s and 80s, The Last Outlaw, Stan Hansen's autobiography... You know, he has one of the more singular looks at wrestling at that era as being like up until Kenny Omega uh, and with the exception of the Funks, the biggest uh, foreigner in Japanese wrestling history. And these kind of things like there's a lot of stories in that book about while he was under all Japan contract deciding, well, uh, I, I need to go do some months up in new york or in georgia because of x y and z and i ended up doing that because of that like this reminds me a lot more of that than you know the the situations you've laid out with all japan or noah yeah it's just it's interesting i don't think there's a larger point there but it's a point that i i feel is worth making absolutely so uh any other thoughts on the dragon gate handsome battle <laughs> no, I, I yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. I, I'm yeah. I'm way more into this Triangle Gate match, which I'm kind of itching to talk about. Yeah, let's get into this. I thought that this was the best match on the show outside of the double main event, the Triangle Gate. Uh, Gold Class are now the new uh, Open the Triangle Gate champions after a gong and another new move from Kota Minoru. This guy has more moves and moves named than anyone else. Uh, this is the Golden Rose case, which is a fire thunder driver he got it down on kz and boy i came out of this with like minorita being like one of like the the hottest stars in the company the, this worked on every level i i to me this was the best match on the show other than the cage match i, I went four and a quarter on this and i i almost want to go higher in hindsight i mean this was you know it was your classic dragon gate triangle gate match a lot of companies do trios matches. Nobody does them with the crispness and the uh, the the crispness, not the Christmas, but the crispness and uh, a flawless execution that Dragon Gate does. You you could go one through six here and just list the things that guys did that were great in this match. But I I, I think the the front running talking point here has to be Minorita and just once again finding a way to steal the show. You know, this match was largely dedicated to him and Shimizu. I didn't realize until after the fact that they've had five singles matches with one another. I mean, I remember when Minorita debuted, when he was Takumi Hayakawa, they fed him to Shimizu quite a bit. I completely lost perspective on the fact that this is, but an ongoing storyline. And here comes Minorita in this match, biggest show of the year. And he and Shimizu just go after one another, this entire match. And, 
they they do big man versus little man, but in a way that's far more engaging than like a Rey Mysterio TV match. This was this was really good, really engaging stuff, and it was just the tip of the iceberg, really. And like the way like Rita would work, just like the head scissors in this match was really kind of cool. The thing that got me about this, and I think this is like a not to be even further up the dragon system, but right now. One of the good things, and one of the reasons why I think this match and why the Triangle Gate has worked so much over, I mean, the history of the promotion is the fact that, and I thought that Jay brought this up on commentary, that this has been like a longer theme where like the two stables have been trading off this belt for this year. And it's just been little tweaks. It's like trying to figure out what like the best lineup is. And you're able to do that because you have these units, you have these relationships that you can go like, oh, so... Uh, the gold class team of Menora, Ben, and Hulk lost. Okay, uh, let's plug in Rita and ooh, Hulk and uh, Ben are already tied up in a Twin Gate match. Uh, Doi, let's bring in Doi here, and then you you have it on the other side with like big time, basically adding JFK and be like, okay, this is who we're gonna go with the Triangle Gates. And I thought that that made this such a satisfying match as well. Like the idea that like, okay, this is the current lineups going at it, and I thought that was really cool. And Kamei continues to be such a welcome addition to these big matches. Uh, you know, we talked about this a few months ago. We did a, a list of the best big match Dragon Gate wrestlers. And Kamei was a guy that I had to include in my top five because he's a guy that just seems to rise to the occasion, you know, despite being an, un, an undersized junior heavyweight, not just a junior heavyweight, but an undersized one at that. He's a big room wrestler. You know, Kamei is good in Kobe Sambo Hall, and he's good in Corkin, but it's these big shows, and it's the big matches that he has where he seems to come alive, and, you know, I can praise Minorita and Shimizu, but I can't get much further without mentioning, goddamn, Jackie Funky Kamei was just on another level in this match. It's something that I think that when we look back when Natural Vibes is done, we we can look at uh, Jackie Funky Kamei as evidence of how just important of a unit this is because you look at the performances there and you can see shades of other people he's teaming with. Like I, for a long time, said, oh, he's teaming here so he can learn how to be a babyface, but there's a lot that goes on with that. I mean, it, you see the resilience of KZ and Gigi Horiguchi into him. You, you can see his big, his big arena match quality from like Susumu. And it's something that's finally like come come together in this that I wonder like when we when case when we eventually have to talk about natural vibes and the rear view, maybe the bigger winner the biggest winner out of this at least this era of it is Jackie Funky Kamei. Oh, I, I don't I don't have a doubt about that. I mean, think about who this guy has worked with. He spent time next to Genki and Susumu and Casey and Jason Lee. Without making the strong machine machine J pun here, he's worked next to machines for the last two years. The guys that put this company on their back and have for the last two decades. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Jackie Funky Kamei is the next Genki Horiguchi. And if people know my thoughts on Genki, you know that's one of the highest compliments I can give a wrestler. This guy's smart. He's talented. He's charismatic. And he's the kind of guy that is going to go to your village and intentionally or not, he will recruit the next crop of Dragon Gate guys because, with all due respect to New Japan and Noah and All Japan and not Glee, they don't have Jackie Funky Kamei's. Kamei, in his charisma, in his aura, 
is just unique to this promotion. And it's the same kind of thing that Genki had. And it's the same kind of thing that has existed since day one. And the fact that he is a marvelous wrestler on top of it is just the cherry on top because he is, he's a really special entity. And I give you credit because you spotted this immediately. You know, I was uh, deer in headlights on Kento Kabune and focused on how many titles he was going to win, not knowing it would be the IWRG middleweight championship. If that exists, you called Kume and you were, you were exactly correct on what he can be. And it's something like, it is so fun to see him do this. I mean, when we talk about his Kobe world performances, I mean, we don't have to look too far back when we're talking about someone who perhaps had the best match ever in this building. Like, we're, we're talking, it, it's not that he's blossomed into this. Like now we're, we're seeing someone that, you know, over the last like really 18 months, if we want to go back two years with the SB feud over the uh, Brave Gate, this is someone that very quietly could be one of the top 100 wrestlers in the world, if not being the best junior heavyweight on a lot of rosters in Japan right now. Oh, I mean, it, it, look, if he showed up in New Japan, if he showed up in Gleed, if he showed up in Noah, he would blow people's minds. He, he's just he, another he's another very talented guy in a very talented promotion, but he's the kind of guy that would, would be a game changer in any other junior division. Yeah. Uh, but before we move on, I want to throw a particular rose to Kota Minora for doing one of the best flying high knees I've seen in like 10 years in this match like he he should drop the elbow and just do high knees that's what he should be doing so i'm back in on coach menorah big announcement here i like the haircut and i thought he was great in this match and this weekend you've got corkin and you've got the mochizuki produce show and you've got osaka a a, a three-day murderous stretch here and Osaka's headlined by Doi versus Minora in the first round of King of Gate. I, I, I'm back in on him. I, I thought he was so good in this match, and especially down the finishing stretch. It, it shook off the year's worth of rust that he's had, where I just, you know, he was so de-emphasized for six months after World last year, and I wasn't buying into the first six months of this year for him. This match, I'm back in. Coach Minora can be a guy and I'm very excited to see where it goes from here. Yeah, and it's going to be fun to see now uh, Natural Vibes having a rough, rough Kobe world where they go to from here. I mean, Casey and Shimizu without a title belt well, for what it feels like for the first time in a year. That's a good point, yeah. Yep. Uh, Twingate, uh, Susumu and Kanda made a successful defense over BB, Hulk, and Binkei. It was a double rotation Yokosuka cutter on BB, Hulk. Uh, Yasushi Kanda still having that year, I'd say. I mean, he certainly wasn't bad in this match. It's, you know, uh, it's a step down in quality from Twin Gate matches from last year. Is that a safe assessment? I mean, it, it wasn't one of the greatest matches of all time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, when we like look at this match and the time it was given, it was not good that this one also did not really receive much time with it. It was a Twin Gate match that. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So the Twin Gate match only went 11 minutes. So it just, it, it for what it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, learning the fact way that Benkei goes tans at 11 o'clock at night is something that I'm never going to forget. No, it's a psychotic behavior. But and nevertheless, you have this match. I, I said 
last week. Like, hey, you know, uh, Kanda's been great this year. Hulk and Gold Class has been very good. But it's still a Twin Gate match that's going to be anchored by Kanda and Hulk. And that, that could go one way or another. And I ended up going three and three quarter stars with this. I really thought this was a ton of fun. I really liked how they worked Benkei's spear in this match. It, yes. it became the focal point of it where Benkei was going for the an early spear. He speared the ring post at his psychotic bump that he does. No one like does that bump anymore. Like it was him and Biggie, and Biggie's not wrestling right now. It's it, it's it's ludicrous that he does that. And uh from there, I thought that was really smart going to the double count out tease and then another spear uh, fake into a jumbo nokachi. I felt like that that was like the neat quirk in this match that made it from being adequate to being very good. Like I thought that it was really smart how they managed to work both teams intricacies into a short match. There was a comment in the voices of wrestling discord about how BB Hulk with his haircut now looks like a butch Joshi wrestler. And I was dying watching this match with that comment in my head because BB Hulk looks like he belongs on the Sendai girls roster. It looked like Ben and someone from Oz Academy against M3K. I was fuck. I don't know who said that. I was cracking up watching this match, thinking about that. I just had to get that in there. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. Cause he went back to like the classic BB Hulk haircut, but at his age now, but he like, has oh. a mom bod. Like I, yeah, Oh yeah. my God. I forget who said that. I'm so sorry. That, murdered me that was so good congratulations on that comment it made me laugh so hard yeah i i don't know if it's just because i finished watching uh uh glate uh version six uh, but but right now i my brain's just going right dean hagane right dean hagane <laughs> non-stop right now hey hey so they're booking Hiromu. uh that's cool that's you know uh, great idea guys <laughs> Do, do, do you like how they found a way to book Sumo Hall and it's not going to be embarrassing for them, but it's not for a single member of that roster? No, I, I mean, okay, so that show's going to have a Kota Shima, Bushi. Which, it, it's going to have Ibushi and what, probably going to be some MMA bullshit, right? Oh, oh, undoubtedly. Like, I think that if you're not automatically looking at like Ibushi versus either Fujita, Junior Hayato, or like abushi and takanori ito versus shinya aoki and hikari sato then like then you then you don't follow g something because that's what well, I okay so so right now it's uh hayata fujita and you izuka versus minora suzuki and shinya aoki so those guys are booked in a ladet uwf double bout Yep, but, yep. So that, that takes a few of those guys off the table, but your your heart is in the right place. Ibushi's going to be doing something like that. And then it's Kazuyoshi. is not booked. No, Shinya no, he, he's, he's teaming with Minoru Suzuki. It's, it's Fujita oh, and Azuka it. versus Suzuki and Aoki. But they're, you're, uh, your heart's Shrek. in the right place there. They're going to bring in Shrek for him. <laughs> they're going to bring in Choi Hong Man. <laughs> I mean, uh, he has not appeared in a Dragon System ring for a couple of years now. No, he's Maybe fair game. He's, he's like Naoki. Yeah, he's, he's like Naoki Chanazaki. He's fair game. Um, <laughs> Except unlike the other one, he might get the call. And, oh, Jesus. Um, and then they're doing Hayashi, Minoru Tanaka, Ichima versus Hiromu, Atsuki Aoyagi, and Jun Tancho. Wonder who's taking the fall there. Uh, and I love Jun Tancho. Jun Tancho rules. And I'm like, he's finally getting the focus here, but he's getting the focus because he's going to be eating a very sloppily done Meteora. 
I was gonna say he's he's eating a swine so hard in this. Oh yeah, match, not it's going actually gonna it's row. gonna disrupt his personal life. Like it's gonna be that <laughs> intense. Um, that 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 mustache that he has is gonna be taken off by this <laughs> match. <laughs> and then T Hawk versus Hiato Tamora. So that's that's a sumo hall show that's going to exist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they will probably get like three to four thousand for that because of everyone else and not their roster. And everyone's gonna be like, look I, at Glade. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, Ibushi being there feels so right and so wrong at the same time. I just, I don't know how to parse through that in my mind yet. I guess it'll help when I see the match that he's in. And if you know, if they do him and Lindemann in a tag or something, okay, cool. But he's he's gonna be all kicky, and I'm not gonna be into it. Yes, I was talking with someone about numbers uh, earlier this week, and they brought up something that I think we had to prepare ourselves for. Now, this is just speculation, so like this. Uh, Case, do you know when uh, 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 Kota Bushi debuted? Uh, no. July 1st, 2004. Okay. Oh, okay, so 20th anniversary at a, at a Gleet show? Yep. <laughs> hey shimo always they, wins they put, credit to him that person put the thought out of my mind i was like oh god we finally found the people like yeah no of course there we go uh if the, the company's around next year they're going they're going to have a, a big show on july 1st then it'll be a kota bushi's uh, 20th anniversary show and but who shows up to an ibushi show because i just thought about this with shima where it's like okay at least he has t-hawk and lindemann and don fuji will probably be granted an appearance at that show but who like who does ibushi have that's in his corner it's nakazawa yeah i mean and it, yeah i can't think of anyone else i mean i don't think shinshiro takagi is coming out for that i don't think so yeah i don't think uh kenny's flying out for that <laughs> I, I, I don't think so <laughs> shima finally gets kenny and a ring he books yeah, no, that, that's that's a that's a very good thought. I I had not put that together. Well done by uh, you and the person that thought of that. Yeah. Uh, last title match. Uh, Ishin is the new Open the Brave Gate champion as he defeats Jason Lee in eight minutes twenty seven seconds with his modified swinging scrap buster. And so much for the next great foreigner Brave Gate run. Yeah, there goes my prediction last week of Jason Lee will be Bravegate champion entering 2024. Yep. You know, it, it is J- Jason's Bravegate run was not what I wanted it to be. And I have to fight that because I, I wanted him to go out there and have time and have banger after banger after banger. And I felt with the Dragon Dia match at Dead or Alive that it was good, but it should have been longer. And then he had the La Estrella title defense, which I, th- I thought he did a remarkable job of leading Estrella to his best singles match ever. And then he had this, and you know, this was this was a good match, three and a half stars, but it was it was two things. One, it wasn't the match that I wanted it to be uh, from just a quality perspective. It was good, it wasn't great. I also thought it was interesting how it was such an Ishan match. They really got oh, Ishan yeah. over here as you know, essentially Dragon Gate's next power junior, which is a, an advantageous position to be. You can do a lot of different things with that and, and props to Ishan. You know, he figured this out and I'm excited to see what he could do with that belt now. Yeah, this was an Ishan match. He looked awesome. Like new gear. I know the DTG guy designed his gear. It looked great. Like he looked like 
how I'd want a power junior to look like. And he wrestled. This is like the thesis for Ishin as a power junior. I think he will do great. But as a Bravegate match, this was underwhelming because of everything we've talked about. Got eight minutes. This was an Ishin match. We're not like this was not really a Jason Lee match, but it was I was still three and a quarter on it. Uh, that swinging scrap buster is nasty. And I liked how they worked it with the uh, they worked around the Kamada chokeslam. Like it, it was still a match with substance with it. It just was not uh, they, they went in the direction we weren't expecting. And I think that's cool. But I will have in back of my head, oh, what if it was going to be like, what if they gave Jason the belt and he saw the belt and then next up he was going to get like a 15-minute match with a Kagatora who is into it because it's a title match. Like, we're missing out on that kind of stuff. And that's a bummer. We're not going to go match by match when we do our King of Gate preview, but the first round match in... What is the small town? They're doing Hamamatsu on Saturday, July 8th. And the show's headlined by Daya versus Jason Lee. What do you think they do with that? Where where does Jason Lee go from here? I think Jason kind of treads water until Natural Vibes is done, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I, I, I'm with you. You know, we this was the payoff to six years of plucky underdog babyface. He was the last guy on the totem pole in Maximum. He was featured in, in the Dragon Gate generation. He was a bit more of a player in Masquerade. And then he came here and, and I, you know, I would say for a long time has operated as the number two behind Casey in Natural Vibes. But now, now what do you do with this? You know, I, I, I have a morbid interest in seeing Jason Lee as a heel, but I don't really think that's the route they're going to go. I would hope that you straddle him with a tag partner and see what he can do, but I don't know who that guy is, and I don't know if that's in vibes or out. It's it's a weird time where you can continue to do the Jason Lee thing, and I think much in the same way I've always compared him to Roderick Strong, he existed as the same wrestler for a very long time, and he was so talented that he was able to do so. I, I don't know if this is the time you, you call for a change if he does something drastically new or if Jason just puts his head down and continues to be the quality wrestler that he is. It's a, it's a really interesting time for him specifically. Yeah, and the heel turn, I, I just wonder if he, he's really someone that you want to turn heel right now. I think he'd be a really cool heel. I just, I think that like maybe I'd be interested if Natural Vibes remains an ongoing concern see him and UT make a run at the Twin Gate. I think that would be fun. But I don't know if that's... I think that's a step back for him almost. If he turned heel tomorrow, you have the dynamic of he and Shun, and obviously Shun fought for him and he essentially kidnapped him trying to get him into Zebrats before he ended up in Vibes. You have that dynamic, which is interesting, but I don't see that being the move. It's a fun idea to explore. It's not an idea that I think is realistic. I, I think... Uh, a tag team with UT, you know, a match with Fuda, a match with Kagatora. I think that's where we're going to go down. But instead of being for the Brave Gate, it's going to be a six minute, you know, second match on the car type deal, which I guess this Brave Gate match was, but for special circumstances. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Uh, let's touch on the undercard. Uh, really, the only undercard match that really had time was the Konamawa Chikawa match because uh, they had a restart. If you look at the rest of the the match lineup, you'll be like two minutes opener, six minutes for the Mochizuki Kano versus Fuji and Kondo. 
Komao Chikawa had 12 minutes, had 12 seconds, sorry, and then five minutes, and then a lot of stuff around it. Uh, what a great comedy match that was. I, I, I love this each year. Yeah, so for those that, that missed it, Ichikawa versus X. X, uh, Shingo's music hit, but Punch Tamanaga came out and Shingo singlet. And then, of course, seconds later, Shingo comes out, big pop. They do the comedy match where Ichikawa loses immediately, calls for a rematch. They have a bit more of an extended match at that point. The spot of the match to me is they go to the floor. Ichikawa's on the ground. Maybe he's standing, I don't remember. Shingo does the rocket punch, the, the catapult with Punch Tamanaga, and Ichikawa moves out of the way and Punch face plants on the ground. I laughed uproariously at that spot. That was the undoubted highlight. That was one of the best Ichikawa spots I've seen in a long time. That was, oh, that was just marvelous stuff. I love that he hit the Ina Bauer once. Shingo was so stunned by it that the next time he just was just furious by it. Like he was still in <laughs> shock. He was, he was also angry. It was, it, it was tremendous. It was exactly what you would want and it played out how you would want it as well. Did you see that they, the new Awari gate has been completed? Oh, no. Oh, Susumu was just like sewing things onto like a belt, literally. Yeah, of course like he it's, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he made sure to include his tag on it. Well, that will be uh, decided this weekend at the Mochizuki Produce Show, which is Saturday night. I don't know if you noticed this, Mike, or I guess Friday night into Saturday, because it's July 8th. Uh, 10 p.m. Central start time for Mochizuki Produce. So I will be live tweeting that on the Open the Voice Gate account. I am stoked about that. I don't think I'll have cell reception at that point. I, I I'm going. Well, where, I'm going where, 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 where are you going to be cell reception? I, I'm not going to be able to watch it. I'm going to be at a ranch. Okay. All right. Sure. With I'll my take new your cowboy word for boots. It. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Texan. Come on. <laughs> I want a cell reception. What year are you in? Do you have new? Dude, you have no bars. <laughs> Texas is such a big state that like there are places that people live that there aren't cell towers that that's a bad existence i want no part of that hey some people yeah, are like but... i want to unplug not me i'm good I, I i like my gadgets no i don't blame you with that uh uh mochizuki kano versus fuji kondo corner kick pfs uh there there was a handshake offer by mochizuki kano left it hanging yeah this uh really wish i we had the original pairs you know, even if it was six minutes, but this was okay, I guess. Like it was, like what? There, there. It was not a classic Mochi Fuji match that we would see in this building. This was disappointing. Like th I, this was the one. Yamato versus Hiromu was fine. Kakuta versus Yoshioka was good, but not good enough. I wanted Jason versus Ishin to be better, but it was still good. This was the match where I went, hmm. I don't like this. This was a three-star match that should have been a four-star match. It never felt like it got going. It felt like they left a ton of stuff on the table. On a show that had an immensely satisfying conclusion, and then a lot of stuff that was, you know, it was good throughout, this was the one that I, I was massively disappointed by. Because Kano, up to this point, hasn't missed in Dragon Gate. He's been great no matter what he does, and this was not a great match by any means. Yeah, no, this was just disappointing. Like 
the, the, there's a difference between the two and a half stars I gave this one and the two and a half stars I gave in the two minute opener. You know, like this, the, the ratings can mean two completely different things. Uh, don't really have much to add to that opener. Dragon Dia, La Estrella, and Eita versus Kagatora, UT, and Taro Nohashi. Uh, D- Dragon Dia won with the DDDDT on UT. UT did the Hakari Noa, and that's kind of all that happened in two minutes. This was as good of a two-minute match as you can get. I wanted this to go 12 minutes instead. I thought all of the the pairings were super interesting. And just, it, you know, it ended before it got going, which was a real bummer because I, I liked this match on paper and I liked the way it was executed as long as it existed. Yeah, and it was something that was like, oh, Taro Nohashi stopped Eita's uh, Tope Hello. Oh, wait, we're getting the finish right now. Like, like, it was just like one of those things. Like, yeah, give it 10 more minutes and that would have been something special on the pre-show we did not have this this will be a future network upload don't know when don't know why uh but sachioko boy takashi yoshida and mondai ryu defeated uh ginky horiguchi punched tomonaga and hoho loon and z brats took out the rookie uh selection it was mochizuki jr and ryuya tanaka that got five minutes that got more minutes than the opener yeah that's bizarre Yep, uh, but that was Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival. Uh, Case's written review, as we said, is recently up on VoicesOfWrestling.com. We had a lot of stuff go up for Dragon Gate over the last few weeks in anticipation of Dragon Gate's biggest show of the year, but that's not all that's going on as we've been talking about. L- l- let's go through this uh, Corkin show before we get out of here. Yeah, it's coming up on Friday. I will have a review at VoicesOfWrestling.com probably on Monday. Because uh, I don't want to publish anything late on Friday. That is the death slot. But yeah, please go through this card and we'll talk uh, big picture King of Gate here real quick. All right. Opener, Natural Vibes, Jason, UT, and Jackie versus Zebrats, Kai, Hyo, and Ishin. Tag team match, Ginky Horiguchi and Takashi Yoshida versus Kaito Nagano making a return in Daiki Yanagiuchi. King of Gate first round match, KZ versus Eita. King of Gate first round match, BB Hulk versus Punch Tomonaga. Ultimo Dragon, Dragon Kid, and Don Fuji teaming against M3K, Susumu, Kanda, and Mochi Jr. Eight-man tag, Yamato, Yuki Yoshioka, Dragon Dai, and Kagatora versus the entirety of Gold Class at this point. Uh, Naruki Doi, not a member, still going to come out to the entrance. Maybe he has the gold gear this time. Kota Minora, Minorita, and Benkei. And then our last two King of Gate matches, Shun Skywalker versus Big Boss Shimizu. And then the main event, Madoka Kakuda versus Masaki Mochizuki. You have to have enormous expectations for that main event. Those guys have never wrestled in a singles match. Uh, Mochizuki, historically, King of Gate Cork and Hall shows are, are his friend. And it's Madoka Kakuta. So, I mean, this, this is a loaded card when you look at it. I like the opener. I like the fact that Nagano and Daiki are teaming together. I think that's interesting. KZ versus Eita is match number three. And this could be a four-minute Eita who gives a shit fest. This could also be a great match. I have no real feel for it. And then, you know, these last two matches, Shimizu and Skywalker and Kakuta versus Mochizuki, you, you could very easily be looking at the winner of this tournament with any of those four guys there. Yeah, uh... I really like uh, the chemistry that uh, Shimizu and Skywalker have when they're in the ring together. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, you just can't accurately predict that KZ and Eita match because it's an Eita match. And that can mean literally anything at this point. So and then BB Hulk versus Punch Tomonaga. That's 
we all know how that one goes. Uh, going to be yeah. interesting to see that uh, M3K tag. Like, out of the non-tournament matches, Ultimo coming in on that, Mochizuki Jr. getting back into, like, getting his win back. I'm interested in seeing how that one goes. Well, even, you know, the match that follows it, you know, a Yoshioka and Daya and Kagatora and Yamato versus Gold Class with Doi. Those are those are very interesting pairings there. And kind of, and that's match six. That should be hot going into intermission. So this is this is a loaded Corkin show. Uh, you know, you would hope that this does eleven hundred, twelve hundred, maybe even you know we get our biggest house post COVID and they hit the thirteen hundred range with this show because this, this is a loaded car with two big singles matches going on, uh, second to last and last. Yep, and then looking at the rest of the week, and I'm just going to run through uh, Hamatsu, just the King of Gates stuff. Uh, Dragon Kid versus Kagatora, Kinki Horiguchi versus Suji Kondo, and then Dragon Daya versus Jason Lee. Those are our three tournament matches from Hamatsu, and I would guess that those three are going to be your YouTube upload. I think that's probably a fair assessment there. Uh, want me to go through Osaka real quick? Yeah, please. So Osaka number two, this is on the ninth. Uh, Dragon Gate Network, it's six o'clock local time start. Not going to be live tweeting this one, I guess, <laughs> with it starting at 4 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we have a Natural Vibes versus M3K eight-man tag. KZ, Shimizu, Lee, and Kamei versus the entirety of M3K, Masaki Susumu, and Mochizuki Jr. along with Yuzushi Kanda. Takashi Yoshida versus Problem Dragon is your first Osaka King of Gate match, uh, Ultimo, Dragon Kid, and Ginky versus BB Hulk, Minorita, and Ryoya Tanaka. That that's fun. I like that. Yamato versus Don Fuji. Your head, your, your number four match in that building. Uh, D Courage versus Shun Skywalker, Hio Nishin, Kai versus Benke, King of Gate, and then Kota Minora and Naruki Doi. I really like that Osaka card. Minora versus Doi is something that really intrigues me. I, you know, I'm really into Doi right now. Minora, like I said, seems to be back with me. I, I am all for that headlining in Osaka show. Yeah, and I mean, even Decourage versus Zebrats, that's a fun combo we have there. Maybe we get a little bit of I I I don't want Dragon Dia to have a Brave Gate shot every single uh new brave gate run but i immediately look at that match dia penning Yishin. Mm, that's interesting yeah i hadn't i hadn't really thought about that but you're you might be onto something there yeah but i mean it seems like the thing with these two shows is that we get three really strong looking king of gate matches and then one that is just yoshida versus problem dragon yeah i you know like jay said on Twitter because we lost Diamante in this tournament. We were supposed to get Susumu versus Diamante at Corkin as well. I, I really wish they would have put a young guy in there and just had them eat the loss, you know, do Susumu versus Junior, Susumu versus Tadaka, Susumu versus uh, Nagano even, just something there. Uh, and the same thing could be said, do I wish one of the young guys was in King of Gate instead of Punch or Problem Dragon? Yes, but Hulk versus Punch, Yoshida versus Problem Dragon, they'll be short. I'll move on with my life and we'll go from there. Yep, I'm with you on that. Any other last thoughts before we get out of here this week, Case? Yeah, who's winning King of Gate? Tell me your, your two finalists and your eventual winner. All right, I'm looking at the bracket now. Uh, I, I'm looking at, I think KZ has a run in him. I don't think he gets out of that side and, of the bracket. And Shibata's winning the G1 this year? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think KZ is semifinalist, probably losing to who is that there? That's Yamato and and Don Fuji. It's I I think that I could see arguments for Shimizu or Shun winning that block on that side of the bracket, and then on the other side, thinking Yamato. I feel like this is a time to to kind of heat him back up after he's done with the Hiromu thing, and you could have him easily lose to someone in the finals, and it'll be fine. And especially or if it's uh, Diamante returning to cost Shun Skywalker, uh, King of Gate, and then Yamato winning, I think that's totally appropriate here. I don't think this is going to be a, a breakout year now that Diamante's out of it. My prediction, my finals prediction, is two guys that could very easily lose in the first round of this tournament. But I not only think they're winning that, I think they're winning everything. My finals prediction this year, Big Boss Shimizu versus Coach Minora your King of Gate winner, Big Boss Shimizu, and we will do Kakuta versus Shimizu at Dangerous Gate in the main event. Yeah, that's a good, safe, Dangerous Gate main event. It, yeah, it just... Uh, he he cut a promo calling out the Rewa 6, and then nothing came of that, and I am I will drop it after King of Gate, but I am hoping that it is paid off in King of Gate. Yeah, and you look at how it is, so Shimizu would have to face a uh, strong machine... Uh, would face Shun in the first round. He would have potentially faced Strong Machine J in the second round, and then probably Benkei yep. in the quarterfinals. That's basically all of the big, big six. And, and, and it could be and it able. could be Madoka Kakuta in the semifinals. Right. Yeah. So it really could be something that he stakes his claim from that. Uh, Shimizu is a good is a good shout there. Yeah. Uh, no. That's I, that, that's that's what I'm looking at here. Is again Shun. Ideally, Strong Machine J could be Kanda. Ben K, and then uh, in the in the semifinals, Kakuta, and that, that leads him to Minora on the other side of the bracket. And there you go. He's run through all these guys. He's got his win against Kakuta, and there's your Dangerous Gate main event. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this Kobe World Review edition of Open the Voice Gate. Thanks for everyone for sticking with us this week, having a little bit of a later one. But we'll be back with you on Tuesday talking about this big week and usually we have like this nice little break case after kobe world like usually there's like a week or two before it's into the second half schedule but there we don't get that this year this calendar is wild no we got four shows this week and we got quark and we got mochi produce we've got a hamamatsu king of gate show and then osaka number two and we'll be back next week talking all about it you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate cases at underscore in your case i'm at fujiheya thanks for listening to voice gate we'll be back with you next week talking about king of gate kickoffs take care everyone what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.